0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: What is up, Gypsy gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast and super excited to bring you this one. Uh, If you remember, at the start of last month, we did a podcast with Mountain Bike G Eddie Masters and uh, we had a bit of a conversation about the guy who owns and runs the team that he rides for now by the name of Bernard Kerr and Bernard has always been a real interesting dude Uh, I've actually followed him for a really really long time on Instagram uh, because he did the Stoppy Sunday thing Uh, and then he really got into like the whole YouTube deal um, but probably more so for Moto. Then for the mountain bike stuff. Um, he is a just insanely talented mountain bike rider who makes some super cool content. Um, and then yeah, translated that into the YouTube stuff. And then he undertook a bit of an interesting project. He basically tried to race a one, although he'd never raced any other, uh, like motocross, supercross race really ever. Um, so Yeah, I really just wanted to get him on to sort of, I guess, see where his head's at with thinking how he can pull all that stuff off. And uh, really cool story. He's got a really, really interesting story how he ended up running uh, a race team at the World Cups and now the Enduro World Series. Uh, His story about trying to race A1 is insane. And he's just a really cool all round dude. So I really enjoyed this podcast. And I think it is a great way to kick off the last month for 2020. Uh, we are brought to you today by the guys at MX Store. You can head to mxstore.com. Uh, I've actually got the MX Store browser open right now because I've got some stuff to get before the weekend. If you get your orders in before 2 p.m. on weekdays, you'll get same-day shipping, which is insane. And if you live around the Gold Coast area, you can just head on into their Gold Coast Superstore. Uh, The guys are killing it. They are... Man, they've been doing some great stuff. 2020 has been a huge year for the guys at MX Store, and I'm excited to extend that partnership with these guys into 2021. Uh, we're also brought to you by the Glove Lord himself, Sammy and his crew at Fist Handwear. Chapter 14 has just dropped. They've restocked a bunch of stuff on their website, so you can head to Fist Handwear. Dot com. Use the code Gypsy Gang and you are going to get 15% off. Coming into summer, they've got their mesh gloves. I absolutely love these things. I've been running them for a while. Uh, they're by far and away my favorite out of the fist range. Uh, you can also head to dixonquality.com.au, pump in that same promo code Gypsy Gang, and that is going to get you 15% off. Uh, look, it's getting hot. Unless you're one of those crazy Dixon collectors that buys Dixon all year round, you might be more interested in their party shirts. We were running them Basically, well, we run them at basically every party. Uh, the party shirts are insane, perfect for summer. Uh, they've got really good board shorts, really good uh, like work shorts that are made out of board short material. So uh, Dixon flannel, not just uh, flannels. So Dixonquality.com.au. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Dry Times. That code Gypsy Gang is going to get you fifteen percent off there as well. Uh, Dry Times come. And uh, yeah, they're unreal. I've been using these towers for training, which I'm finally back doing. Um, and yeah, they're unreal. Uh, best thing about these towers is they don't collect sand, uh, which has been really good. You can actually uh, dry off at the beach without just basically rubbing sand all over yourself. Perfect for this Gold Coast summer. Uh, we also bought you guys but we're also brought to you by the guys at rivalincdesignco.com. They posted on their Instagram about their Christmas cutoff times. These guys have been working their asses off through this 2020 weird year uh, to basically streamline all of their productivity. They've invested massively back into their company uh, to cut down wait times. These guys get absolutely hammered because they are the best in the game. But with everything that they have done, to make sure that they can cut down their wait times. The volume of orders that these lords get uh, means that there is a Christmas cutoff. So please, if you're in the market for some new graphics or if you're a parent that is going to give some new graphics to your kids for Christmas or if you need to get your mid 2K stuff, ordered and ready, uh, then you need to go to rivalincdesignco.com right now. The code Gypsy Gang is going to get you 15% off as well. Uh, We're also brought to you by the guys at Crix Tweed. If you need a brand new vehicle, new or used, uh, the guys at Crix have got you covered. Head to crixtweed.com.au. You can email them, call them, ask for Kyle, tell them you're a member of the Gypsy Gang and that I sent you in there. And then he's going to give you a deal for show. Um, but yeah, those guys have been an amazing sponsor of ours. Um, and 2020 has been a really great year working with those guys. So, uh, my Triton is unreal. Absolutely love that thing. You can own one as well. CrixTweed.com.au That's it for me and the ads. Uh, I posted about it on Instagram, but we had our biggest month ever in November. So thank you so much. It's been absolutely insane. Uh, I've done pretty much nothing but work on the podcast and it has been awesome. I absolutely love my job. I appreciate every single one of you that listens, that posts. Um, we've been putting in a ton of effort on the YouTube channel, so you can go and subscribe there. Uh, give us some likes, give us some comments, and uh, yeah, shoot me a message on Zagram, and uh, I'll do my best to get back to you. But uh, for now, enjoy this awesome chat with a really cool dude that I hope we can do some more stuff with in the future, Bernard Kerr. From the gang called- Gypsy. And and gang.
2: gang and they come and get jank. Gang and they come and get jank. I'm at a gypsy. Hey. Gypsy. Gang. 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 Gypsy. Gang and they come and get jank. Gang and they come and get jank. Gypsy. Gypsy.
1: Gang. I'm at a gypsy. Record, record. Bernard Kerr, welcome to the Gypsy Tales podcast, my friend. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, mate. Good. Keen for this one, actually. I've been a, um, I've been a bit of a, a Bernard Kerr youtube uh fan guilty pleasure kind of guy for a while actually <laughs> that's
2: funny to hear it's definitely not the best channel so <laughs> no
1: nah, it's you know what that's i'll funny. be i'll be fully honest with you i didn't know how to take you for the longest time hey eh? like i have to actually tell but but oh the caveat is i think that's kind of what you want in the youtube space you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, kind of. We just film what we do. It's it's shit realistically, but it's hopefully people like it. And it's funny shit or just I don't know, maybe people are always sat there expecting something good to happen in the videos, but it never does. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. We just film what we're going to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh I sort of just I was like, man, what like who is this dude? What does he do? Like I followed you off I've actually followed you on Instagram for years because of Stoppy Sunday. And then I was like, no is, he, "Is he moto, dude? Is he like what? What the? What's fucking actually going on here?" But um, but then, <laughs> and then like, you, I'd sort of talked to a bunch of other people, and they're like, "Yeah, I don't really know his deal." <laughs> so I was like, "You know what? I'll get you on, and, get you on, and have a yarn. But yeah, when I when I had Ed that's on the funny. other day, when I had Ed on the other day, he sort of filled me in on a bit of your backstory, and I was like, "No way, that's pretty sick." Some of the stuff that you've uh, that you've got going on.
2: Yeah, I needed to listen to that. Wynn told me he was on and I saw it, but I haven't actually had a chance to listen to his yet because we've been pretty busy, but I'm sure it'll be a good laugh.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. I I love both of those dudes, man. They're the, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're the biggest legends, eh? For sure. Funny, guys. So you have been doing, like you're the team manager for Pivot. You've run that team for 10 years, which is a crazy sort of, feet in itself I guess and then you're a motor rider and you're a YouTube dude so you've got like a ton of stuff going on and like when I sort of I guess when I did get a bit of the context of of your uh your story and sort of the things that you do have going on man it's pretty impressive what you've been able to sort of achieve and like the level of value that you obviously provide to the to the sponsors that are around you.
2: Well, I appreciate you saying that. But yeah, hopefully we're doing a good job. And definitely a weird one with the team and everything. It's sick. Obviously, Eddie must have filled you on that. Having him on the team is so cool. But he's pretty hard work. I'm not going to lie. In a good way. <laughs> but um, it's fun. and Yeah, I really think, I don't know, with the value thing you put on there at the end, I feel like it's way easier when you run a team and you're involved with all the companies and yourself. You can see how to add value to yourself and them and like give them value in The team and what you're doing not just hey i'm riding bike i'm good at it can i have some money (laughs) hopefully we do work well with them and see how we need to add value to them and help them
1: so where where did that like that's not the normal attitude for a professional rider for the most part i think that things are starting to change like the more guys like yourself guys like win with win tv and the stuff that he's got going on i think people are I guess waking up a little bit more to what you kind of need to do to keep sponsors happy or to like get sponsors and become like this kind of undeniable presence in the industry. Like where did that come from in, in you? Like how did that even because it seems like you've been ahead of the game on that in a big way.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think when, yeah, like you say, he's started the Wheelie Wednesday thing so long ago. I can even remember him in Whistler telling me like, hey, I'm going to do this Wheelie Wednesday thing. Do you want to do it with me? And I was like, oh, I think I'm busy today or whatever. But I don't know. Since when I first got on Pivot, I tried to run my own video series then because I just really enjoy filming shit. And I'm like, oh, this is so fun if we film what we're doing. Like, I think if I take it way back, it's like Kevin and Perry. I used to watch Kevin and Perry go large. I thought it was so rad how they had this like dad cam and wanted to film each other like, going on this crazy holiday doing shit and i always just wanted to film stuff and i knew the more you film the more photos you take like surely people are gonna like apart from that you're stoked on it people are mm. gonna appreciate it like wow, he's doing a good job for us and if you just race you can only do 10 races a year but you've got every single day of the year to take a photo or do a video and i don't know yeah i think wind's been early on it and i've been lucky enough to see or Maybe just enjoy some people. I enjoy creating content or going on Discover on Instagram and trying to find skateboarders doing something cool. And be like, oh, that's so sick. I want to recreate that or steal their idea. And I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I really enjoy it, I guess. And you can see creating it, it's going to keep sponsors happy. It has to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess that, yeah, enjoying it is probably the key because some dudes just don't care to do it, right? Dude, like, they hate I it. They yeah. hate it. They hate it. Yeah, like I can't see a guy like Aaron Gwynn going out and filming his own vlogs, you know?
2: Yeah, true. Yeah, vlogs or whatever, like me and Wynn were saying, sometimes on a stoppie video, I'll get it first go. Sometimes I'm there for two hours doing a stoppie on a Sunday (laughs) trying Mm -hmm. to get the bloody thing. But I know I'm going to enjoy the outcome. I'll be stoked with myself that I've done it. But yeah, some people aren't going to do that or some people aren't going to run around in muddy fields and shit cars and enjoy editing a YouTube video of it. Whereas I like, I'm lucky, I guess, that I enjoy it. I'm like, oh, that was such a fun day. Look how dumb we look. Or like, I can see we're having a good time. Hopefully people watch this video and see we're having a good time. And then hopefully be like, well, the bike looks real good too. Maybe we'll buy a pivot.
1: Well, is there, I guess there's an element of self-consciousness that you mustn't have or you're able to overcome. Because, I mean, for for me, like we we do vlogs and stuff like that, but it's pretty, I guess, like, few and far between because I just... I'm self-conscious in that way, you know? I'm just like, I just don't really get... I don't really want to fucking put myself out there. Like, I feel like the podcast, I've sort of said it before, but the podcast, I'm just sitting here talking, like, I can't do anything about the way I come across in this. But in a vlog, (laughs) you know, like... In a vlog, you're editing yourself and... And I don't know, to me, I've just been self-conscious about that kind of stuff. But I will say that recently the more that we've been putting out, like you can just see the stoke that people get from it. And that has kind of made me a bit more stoked on doing it. But I don't know, like it seems like with you, you don't have as much of that element of (laughs) self-consciousness.
2: I'm glad that's the way it comes across, but we definitely do. The stoke's definitely rad when you like see people, people message you like so happy to watch. Honestly, what I think some such shit videos I put out, Mm -hmm. but believe it or not, I tried to do friend ollie wilkins were talking about it once he's like dude just film yourself around the house watch it back and you'll literally want to throw up at it or whatever and like maybe a year or half a year before i ever first did one i literally filmed myself in the morning working on the garage talking what i was going to do watched it back and was like i cannot put that on the internet i look like a fucking retard you know i was like (laughs) i can't put that out like so embarrassed and then i can't remember one day at mont st Anne last year I just filmed what we did that day. Like I called it a lifestyle documentary. Cause I was like, I thought vlogging was shit and it's super lame. And I was like, I don't want to be a vlogger. That's such shit. So I was like, I'm just gonna call it a lifestyle documentary. I'm just gonna film what we do today. And I filmed us, sat in the car, I filmed us cooking breakfast, I filmed us went to McDonald's the next day. And people liked them, I guess. And then with the whole A1 thing, I was like, well, we have to vlog this because it might be cool, it might be shit. So we just dunno. But we filmed us like what we do. Like sometimes we'll go out and make something up to film and be like, right, I'm bored today. We've got this little motorbike. Let's just go film us, try and jump it. But yeah. a lot of the time it's like, right, we're just going right and saying we're just going to film everything we do. And if it's shit, it's shit. If there's good stuff that happens, good stuff that happens. But honestly, it's like more of a lifestyle documentary of what we just do that day that I film.
1: Yeah, but so there was like a bit of an element that of, I guess, self-consciousness that you ended up having to Dude. overcome to do it or... For sure, even now, this is real bad. That I'm going to say this like on your podcast. I don't watch
2: a lot of them. Mm. I edit them so quick and so badly. A lot of them, I won't watch the whole thing before it goes on because I hate listening to myself. And like, what I'll say or doing some of them, like that's so embarrassing. Look at you. What are you doing, man? <laughs> so I'll just like skim through it on iMovie and I'll just skim over it, but won't even click play and just like, yeah, didn't do anything stupid and just edit that. Next bit, keep going, edit. Which makes it quicker and easier to edit, and I don't have to watch it. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely still a bit self-conscious about it.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, well, uh, yeah. No, that's cool. It's cool to know, like, yeah, because, I mean, for, for Aaron, I mean, yeah, you do it, and you're just like, fuck, like, what? I don't really want to put this shit out, you know, but when people nah, do get stoked on it, I guess don't,
2: it's- but that makes, yeah, you're so right. When they get stoked on it, you care way less, and... I think once you first get over YouTube, you're not cool. Mm. Like, you're not cool, if you know what I mean. Like, you don't go on there and look at yourself and watch a video and be like, man, I'm cool. Like, as yeah. long as you're okay with not being cool, then you're kind of fine with it. You know what I mean? Like, you've just got to be okay with not being cool. You're like, hey, guys, today we're going to ride a bike and go over this jump. Like, that's not cool, man. <laughs> <But> <laughs> as long as you're okay with not being cool, you can kind of be okay with it.
1: Yeah, I guess that's, that's where fun. it gets like – I guess that's where it gets weird then is, is – I guess maybe that's where the judgment comes in, because you're like, does this cunt think he's cooler than he fucking actually is? Yeah, <laughs> that's
2: exactly it. Like, if I walked out and saw Eddie in a mud field, being like, guys, so right now we're going to do a skid on this motorbike, and let's see how it goes. I'm like, oh, what is Eddie doing? He looks like an idiot. <laughs> so as long as you know you look like an idiot, I guess, you can get over it. You're like... I don't care, it's not cool, but hopefully it'll do sick and one day we'll get some ad money off this.
1: (laughs) Dude, uh, you know what was uh, a big turning point for me in, uh, in your vlogs? The, well, day, what was the, it? the day that i saw you wearing white nike blazers at the track unloading your bike <laughs> i was like that's sick." i was like my fucking g all right all right all right all right.
2: that's sick i was thinking of some new ones earlier oh
1: that's awesome yeah i was kind of like i was kind of a little bit devoed that you're getting them dirty but i was like fuck i kind of appreciate a man that can get his get his blazers dirty
2: i always like say like Anything I have that's nice, I'll wear like at a bike place because what I do every day is biking or like when I mm. wanna look best is at the track or on my bike. That's when I wanna look cool I like, wanna wear my nice stuff, so I'm always gonna wear it in probably bad conditions. That's why I've got it, so yeah. I don't know. Stoked on them, but yeah, they're gonna get wrecked. Yeah, I'm not.
1: I'm not mad at. I'm not mad at that perspective. I kind of. I kind of try and like. Yeah, I like cool shoes and shit, so I like always rock up at the track looking like I'm about to go have a drink. But I'd sort of feel like I'm running the same. But that is where you're
2: having your drink. Yeah. Pretty much, (laughs) huh? Yeah, that's kind of wild. I don't know. Like, even if I had like a fancy watch or a nice whatever it is, I'd wear it every day or like going out riding because that's what I like doing. And that's when I probably want to look
1: best. <laughs> yeah, no, that shit makes sense. I um, I had the... I, I From the outside looking in, I actually just thought you were some rich kid dude that was, you know, like, <laughs> he's sponsored by his mum and dad and then was kind of living this dope lifestyle, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I got the impression that nah, that's cool. what you were... That's sort of like where your lane was. But then talking to Eddie um he pretty much said like nah dude like he's been doing this 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 and this this, this. and I, it gave me kind of like a new um i guess like appreciation for it and it made me you know super interested to hear the story um and then i was talking to Davey from Hook It podcast and he said like yeah Bernard's been on the same brand for 10 years has run that team the whole time um so like what i guess was your um your i guess how did that sort of all happen to get to where you are now with it
2: well uh definitely not rich my mom went bankrupt trying to do this basically and help me out so she's broke <laughs> pretty much bless <laughs> her because my parents split up when i was younger so she literally used to like marshal at the races for us and then when i turned 17 she did the brand new van she was amazing when i first started driving she bought don't know how she managed it. I think she like ran it through her business to like make sure I had a good vehicle to go to racing to start with. But yeah, we didn't have a lot of money. That's for sure. Like I had a bike. I actually, I don't know if people know this story. I had a bike stolen once or two bikes stolen. She bet on a horse to uh, win my next bike. She was like, right. If I bet on this horse, cause she used to know some really good farriers cause she trained horses when she was younger. So if we bet on the horse and we win, we can buy you a new bike. If we lose, we'll eat beans on toast for a month but like will the shop will survive that she ran and like will be fine so yeah didn't have loads of money but um she killed it she worked so so hard i can't even tell you how hard she worked and to make it happen really which is pretty cool and then yeah after that we like i was on a team wasn't on a team and then so wait did the like, horse break the horse won, dude. Yeah, the horse won. <laughs> no won I can't remember. It was like seven hundred pounds. It wasn't even a lot of money, or nine hundred pounds that we won to get a bike, and we had to buy a second-hand bike with the money. But yeah, the horse won. It was like a farrier we used when we used to like when parents together we had horses, and we always used this farrier called Jerry, and he like knew loads of race horses and trainers, and he was like, "Oh yeah, it's a really, it's a really good tip. Like you should bet on this horse."
1: No way. So
2: yeah, yeah. And I bought a, we bought a DMR with it, a used DMR which is awesome, which I guess ties into everything because DMR import pivot in this country, like DMR bikes. And at yeah. the time, like I bought the secondhand bike with the horse racing money. Eventually that bike broke because it was so old, but they hooked me up with a new DMR and then year after I rode to some brands, Ollie Wilkins that rides for DMR what well did was like, Hey, we're bringing in a brand called pivot. Like, do you want to try it? I was like, Oh, I'm not sure. But anyway, he talked me into it. I rode for the UK distributed for two years and then. I don't know, like I could, I had offers to go ride for like factory teams at the time. But I just really wanted to travel around in a van because that's what i had been doing for two years or have many years. Was just going to races in a van, fucking around in between, going out, doing this, playing on bikes, playing on pit bikes. I knew if I went on a factory team, they'd be like, right, your flight is on Tuesday at 3 p.m. You leave on Sunday at 9 p.m yeah Maybe back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. like they set you a schedule which is a cool structure and some people need that and like want that but I was like man I just want to have a van and like go around with my friends so I emailed pivot like the owner because I kind of had met him I was like hey is there any chance like I could run a team for you I heard the guy that runs it at the minute doesn't want to and he said Oh, write me a proposal and I did I honestly if I wrote the email it's probably the worst email i've ever wrote i'm not that good at grammar as it is now and i remember i got like 26 grand the first year and i was like i'm gonna be so rich i was like it's me a mechanic and another rider with 26 thousand dollars. i was like i don't know what i'm gonna buy first and we like (laughs) ran out of money honestly we ran out of money through the season i had to get my mum to help at the end of the year because i was like mom we can't afford food we're gonna need some money of this team no way yeah that was it that was yeah so i've been on pivot 10 years but the team ate yeah and just with like I guess good friends and hopefully like people like eddie that like the vibe of almost traveling in a van i know we have a big truck now and a brand new van and like we stay in hotels but it's still like the vibe of like mm. what do you guys want to do next week we got a week off or we got a day to go to here should we stop a, a motorbike track on the way or something not just a team manager telling you you're going here on this day at this time to race your bike like i don't know we i think we all need to have fun to do well so Yeah, it's progressed pretty good, really, I hope.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man, that that is so gnarly. So you do the the first year. What was the, like, so the bikes were obviously pretty good from the jump. And then you guys, like, what were the results like that first year?
2: Yeah, the bikes are real good. There's a guy called Dave Weagle that does the linkage system for it. It's called a DW Link. It's super famous. And he does it for a few bike companies. Like, we knew it was going to be a good bike. I can't remember what my best result was the first year, maybe 25th or top 20, but pretty good. I never used to train though. Like some riders are super like hardworking and they do well because of that. Some are talent-based and do well because of that. And I guess I was like more of a talent-based guy. I was like, oh, like cocky in a way. Like, oh, I'm just good at riding bikes. I'll just ride my bike and do a bit of training. I'll be all right. And then that lasted, I guess, a little bit. But yeah, realized you had to maybe train a bit more. And the components as well, I guess a bad thing starting out. I can't remember if it was when I had the team or the year before I got three flat tires and snapped a chain in qualifying, Mm. like in four races, like that happened. And I was like, how is this happening? Like, how can I be so, so bad? Like, how can my luck be this bad? But I realized like, oh, you can't just run like the cheapest rims. If they're paying you, you might have to take like a thousand dollars less and run a better rim company or whatever it is. Or I don't know, like get more chains off a company even if you've got to buy five extra ones Like chains are pretty important so mm. i don't know i guess we started doing well but i think chris the owner as well appreciated like we said before is the media i always want to do videos and photos so whatever i could do out of racing i didn't really feel like a chore back then like it was i started the team before we even had instagram but mm. i guess i would still do photos for facebook or pink bike articles or something so i don't know yeah i guess the first year kind of went well apart from like running out of money <laughs>
1: um and so did you have any idea of how you were gonna run a team or did you have any kind of like i guess you said your mum was sort of in business but what was your plan like did you have any kind of actual plan
2: dude zero well honestly when i look back there was zero plan
1: it was like
2: dude for sure it was like Kind of run a team for you which basically meant kind of have some money to go racing i'm just gonna go like round in a van and put your stickers on it and put your logo on my jersey and i think i thought it through my mum, thinking back must have helped me like with the idea because we me and my mum, used to make she made these like posters or, like these big cards and we'd go to the bike show in the uk and it would have mm. like all my photos on it my best results maybe what i planned to do and like my best photos and we'd walk around the bike show and hand those out to get sponsors and we got Mazzocchi suspension back in the day and things like that. So I think I just copied like a proposal model maybe in my head. And then I didn't think about a business thing at all of it or a plan or like, dude, even to now I've just scaled up the things. Like we worked out, like then we heard of interbike. and I was like, right. I need to go to this interbike thing. It's a bike show. Mm. The same as what me and my mum did. I guess go around, meet people and be like, right, we need X amount of dollars for tires, X amount for suspension. And I did that from the age of, I don't know how old was I when I first went there, I was maybe 20 years old or 21, I think I was 20 when I first went to Interbike and then I went like probably every year for the next six years. I'd like fly out there on my own or I'd like, meet someone there, like Elliot Jackson, my old teammate. And then we'd either drive from LA to there, or I'd just fly straight to Vegas for like, honestly, for like three or four days at a time. I'd fly there just for Interbike because I knew that's what you had to do. I just heard on the grapevine you did deals at Interbike. Fly to Interbike, Mm. talk through with bike companies, tell them all your results, sit down in a meeting room, be like, this is how many dollars we need. And yeah, kind of look back at it now. It's kind of funny to like fly out there and be like, hey guys, can we get some money for the team? Like, we're doing good, or we're trying to get this rider, so we're going to need this. Or here's all our videos, here's our stats. But, yeah, there wasn't really much business thought behind it, if I'm honest. It was just, I want to have fun. Can you give me money to go race my bike? I'll promote you as best as I can.
1: <laughs> That's so sick, man. And so, where like, how much did it scale year on year?
2: Quite a bit, I guess. It, like, kind of started average, I think. And then we went from two riders to three. I can't remember what year that even was. So, we went, like, we had me and Bubba Warren. I think it went from... Maybe the second year, straight away, we had three riders. Dude, I can't even remember. It was me, Elliot Jackson and Michaela, which was so cool. Like we traveled around. I'm trying to think if there was someone else in between this. I'm being terrible at my memory right now, <laughs> but it scaled up to three pretty quick and then it stayed there for a while. Then it went to four and now we're on five, but it's honestly almost an accident each time yeah, right. you're just like, oh, this person's good. We need them. And then I'll be like, shit, we need to get funding for them. Because I just want either a friend or someone I know is going to do good. Mm. Like everyone we've got on the team ever has done their best results. Every single rider has done the best they've ever done on our team. Like normally in their first year of it. So it's like a proven, it looks like a wacky team from the outside. And like, we don't take it seriously, but we really do take the racing part and the training part seriously now. Like now we do. I didn't maybe (laughs) for the first few years. (laughs) Uh But yeah, I don't know how it's scaled up. It's just as I've learned more, maybe like, well, this is a business, we need to treat it better. Yeah. And I realized like the truck thing, like now we have a big truck, the bigger presence you have, it looks better. You look more impressive. So you can charge more, I guess, because if sponsors come to race, you got this massive branding instead of a small sprinter with a tent off the side, you got this huge branding, you look legit, you are legit, and you probably race better as well. So I realized that pretty soon. And that was a I haven't had many goals with the team, but the truck was a goal at one point. I was like, right, we've got to get a truck and it will be cooler, you Mm -hmm. know, and it will be like more legit. So that kind of happened, but everything else is just like falling into place or I've done better results or the team's done better results. So we've been able to like upscale, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) It just happened.
1: When was the, when was your first like, or how long did it take to get some like real results like podiums or whatever? Podiums took so long.
2: I got a ninth place on the when I was on pivot running the team in Norway. I got ninth and was like, whoa, I got a top ten at the World Cup. That's pretty gnarly. That is hectic. Like, which I was so yeah, I was like so stoked in that. And after I got that top ten, I was like, I think that's when I was like, whoa, I could actually do quite good at this. (laughs) And that was still like I guess a part of it as well. I never used to know how to set up a bike. It was me and my mum going to races. And I re- never really realized it was that important. I was just like, right, I just want a bike that's fun to ride and didn't really realize about suspension setup or tire pressures for honestly the longest time until way more recently than people would even realize way more. Re- I would just like try and hear eventually around the pits what a tire pressure was, but probably too shy or nervous to ask what a tire pressure was. Yeah. But when I started learning all that, like you could actually set up a bike really good started doing good and then in 2016 i got my first podium but how old was i then 26 years old 25 25 years old maybe for my first ever podium which is really old you know yeah <laughs> but most it's kind of late yeah and like mountain biking and motocross they come out of juniors they turn mm. 18 or they come out of 250s you probably get a podium in next year if you're ever going to do it you normally get one in your first few years and at least you know like 18 19 20. Yeah. But it took me a long, a long long time, and I think, because I didn't know how to set up a bike, didn't have any guidance, I don't know, we were just hacking away at it, hoping for the best, really, <laughs> and just being like, hopefully this works out one day, which is what, kind of funny.
1: What was your first um, experience, like, actually setting up suspension and setting a bike up? Like, how did that end up happening?
2: Uh, we were with X-Fusion, They were just like, oh, let's try a different spring rates, or here's this, or... I think we had real thin oil at the start and that was the first time I really felt like, oh, the oil's thin. It was like heating up so the rebound would go real quick. Yeah. Like you had no rebound. It was just so fast. And before that I'd never really thought, Hey, I need to make my suspension good. If it was good, it was just good. You know, Yeah. like, I don't know, like it was just fine. I honestly can't remember really ever, like ever my whole life setting up suspension until. Maybe we did on my first pivots. Like someone would just set it up when I got it that day and that'd be it. I can't remember. I remember I got serviced out of RockShox fork before I was sponsored by Fusion. it got serviced at a world cup, got serviced at Valdasol world cup, um, on like the race week. Someone was like, oh, we'll service that for you at SRAM. They were really friendly at the time. And I came 12th, maybe the 13th <laughs> at the world cup. And that was my, that was probably my first top 15 ever. And I was like, whoa, I got my suspension serviced and look how good I did. So that was kind of like a bit of like a whoa moment. And then the next time it was probably on my next Fusion and I noticed it speeding up. I was like, what is going wrong with the bike? But yeah, that would have been, I must have been 21 or something years old before I really thought, "Whoa, we need to look at how to do a suspension. I'd honestly never thought about it, which seems yeah, crazy. That's... But my mum, bless her, she wouldn't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's so funny. Uh, one of my one of my best mates to this day, um, is Jay Reinenberg that used to own the JDR KTM team in America that like Malcolm rode for, and uh, he yeah. he got into racing just because his friends in school were into it, and his dad used to be like a ski boat dude, like he used to race um water skis, and like they went to the track, Sick. and his first ever race he saw um. He saw one of the good dudes like his dad was like sharpening his foot pegs with a file. So his they had no idea about like tire pressures or anything like that. And then Derek, his dad, was like, Oh, right, I guess I better get a file and sharpen the foot pegs. And so like <laughs> That's so sick. Yeah, that was like the only thing they knew, and then they ended up owning a factory team.
2: Dude, that's so rad from sharpening foot pegs to that. That's probably kind of <laughs> slightly like this, just Honestly, no idea. Like, I can't remember ever, like, really setting up tyre pressures from when I started until probably 20 years old. (laughs) I honestly can't remember. I was on a team with a a lady called Fiona Griffiths for, like, one year. Oh, yeah. And we had a mechanic on that, and she must have set the pressures or the mechanic must have, but I don't remember it. Like, I honestly don't remember setting tyre pressures or anything, which is crazy now I think back. But I think a lot of kids don't know what to run even that kids now that we'll talk to or like we help out they'll be like oh i'm running this i'm like dude you should probably <laughs> drop those psis down of it. you know but like how would they know like their parents yeah probably don't know about high-end mountain biking like it's quite new really
1: and you're yeah, you, so
2: into it to know what's good
1: yeah and you don't know what you don't know it's super hard to find out the things that you should know dude
2: super hard like where is it and like if your parents, it's probably real embarrassing or like hard to just walk into a factory team up to ten. And be like, hey, by the way, my son is racing now. What tire pressures do you have? Yeah, you know, like it's hard for a parent just to go and ask that. And I guess like us, we never just went and asked. What do you, from memory, what do you do? <laughs> like you just hope you have to make friends and ask them.
1: And so kind of weird. And so like when uh, when did it become like a real. I guess, like viable thing for you to be like, oh, fuck, I'm running like a legit business here.
2: I don't know. I can't remember the first time I was out of my overdraft. I want to say it was like four or five years ago.
1: Out out of your overdraft?
2: Like not minus money, you know, like when your bank account's below zero.
1: Yeah, right.
2: Like I lived the first at least probably four or five years, four years of the team, five years of the team at the end of the season, every year being zeroed out at best. But like, it honestly wasn't a thought because I was having so much fun. And all I wanted to do was travel around in my van. Yeah. Your money was just kind of coming in and then out. Like you'd get a big payment in May, let's say from your suspension sponsor. You're like, yo, I've got 15 grand in there. You'd burn through that. And at the end of the season, if I was out, I honestly wouldn't really think about it. I'd just be waiting until the next payment came in January
0: mm.
2: and then you'd be going again. But I don't know how long it's been viable now because I moved out of my mum's house three years ago i spent two and a half years at the other house three maybe three years ago i moved out of her house so that it's kind of normal in england especially if you're doing a sport like people here it's so expensive to live you move out yeah. when you're older. if you lived at home too, you're 27 28 it's, that's kind of usual in the uk but
1: i moved out yeah because you guys where, ago, where do you guys live it's kind of like an expensive we live like area, an right? hour from
2: london yeah it's a place called surrey yeah yeah and it's like one of the most if not the most expensive area in like the country yeah so it's stupid dude it's such a rip off i don't know why we live here but oh, now yeah. all your friends live here you kind of have to yeah but yeah Yeah, i think i moved out three years ago my rent was 1400 pounds a month when i moved out fuck so i think that's probably it. it's almost double in aussie mm. maybe like two and a half thousand aussie or something a month yeah then plus your like bills obviously like your power water and everything yeah. That was only three years ago. I could afford to do that to live out at home. Really? Because I'd go to New Zealand and live there, obviously. But it's That's so what you're I 50 thought bucks you a week were.
1: There. I thought you actually were a Kiwi for the longest time. Like when a lot I was. Lots of fo- people said that. <laughs> yeah. Like when I was following the whole, like, Stoppy Sunday deal, I actually thought you were a Kiwi.
2: That's funny. Well, I used to have a Kiwi girlfriend, and I'd go to New Zealand for like three or four months every year. Yeah. Like the first year I ran the team, that was the first year I went to New Zealand. And I worked it out that if I went there, by the time I'd paid for the flight, it was cheaper to, honestly, cheaper to live there. I'd pay $50 a week rent so £25 a week rent. And then, like, everything else was cheap as well, and you just cook food. So, whereas in England, I just have to live at home, and then still everything's twice as expensive, and you've got to drive to everything. But yeah, what was the year I moved out? I won King of Crankworks, which at the time was $25,000. Wow. Winning, like, the overall. Uh, it was like between like three crank work stops in Worcester, I won like the overall point series or whatever, but you got 25000 Canadian dollars. Yeah. And then the speed and style overall. And that was like, I think I got like $30,000 prize money that week, which was, at the time was like, my, I knew it was coming though. So that was bad. Like I knew I had it <laughs> in the bag. I was like, right, I've just got to do this, 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 this. Like I was so close to not basically in the last race that week, I had to get 10th or better. And I got 10th in the race and Win wow. was behind me by point, point 0.6 of a second in Canada. So I only made the 25 grand by point 0.6 of a second. But That's I don't know why hectic. I was so confident that I was going to do it. <laughs> but <laughs> even that year, I think after I bought like a $2,000 car, because I only had a van at the time, all I had was the team van, the like, long wheelbase Sprinter, which was my everyday car because that was the only one I had.
1: Which is a fucker, man. Yeah. Um,
2: Dude, so like a high roof, long wheelbase van. That's my only car. Like, if you want to go to town. I so was like, right, I'm going to buy a car if I win this. And I bought this, like, soft, like, a, you know what a Willys Jeep is? Mm, no. Like an old school. They're, like, from the the army, the American Willys oh, Jeep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, like, yeah. soft top. Like yeah. I bought a replica of that because I couldn't afford a real one for two grand. <laughs> but that was what I bought with the money. And then after that, I got a new motocross bike. I bought my first ever brand new motocross bike from like the year before, so it was cheaper. And then I really only had money to live on for the winter. Like that was the money gone because we didn't really have any left over from the team and that was 2015. So 2016 was the first real year that I like made money from it, I think, mm. because the only money I made in 15 really was from winning $30,000 in a week. <laughs> Otherwise, I really hadn't made much. So yeah, 2016 was the real first year it was probably viable.
1: And like, then, so, make any so, sort of money. So, what changed in 2016 then for it to. Or is it just this kind of process of it compounding and compounding and compounding to the point where it actually.
2: I think, yeah, like winning the King of Crankworks, you made loads of money and you've won this big thing. So, your sponsor's like, whoa, this guy's actually doing good now. And Not just in downhill, I was doing good in like dual slalom and doing whips and like I'd learned to whip more, which I think you'll see in motocross with Tyler and Behrman and everyone like whips are cool whips get you coverage whips make you money there's no arguing it you know like companies do see it and they get amazing exposure from it so i think i kind of worked out in my head whether it was fun or i just maybe thought right if i do some more whips this could work out for me i don't know what was the process
1: um, of like learning to whip a mountain bike
2: no no idea people ask me that all the time i never even thought about it i just did it always just When we rode dirt jumps at this field, I could always do a whip on a like dirt jump bike. Like, I could always go 90 degrees pretty much, or just under since I was 14 years old. No idea how or why, just did it. So, yeah, even now, if someone asks me how to do it, I try and tell them. I'll watch a video of me doing it and it doesn't look anything like it feels Mm. like not even close. I'm like, and I'm like stood up, like turning off the lip, and it feels like I'm like, sat down squatting and sliding or whatever it is it feels like I'm doing different to it looks so I don't know but yeah compounding of like whips and getting better results finally you could ask for more money pivot like the owner like they were such a young brand when I started there they're only two years old I grew with them mm. and he really trusted me somehow and appreciate I was like right we were on let's say five dollars now I need ten we were on ten now I need 15 or on 15 now 20. And he upped it as I got better, he like matched it and was like, yeah, you deserve more money, here's more money. And then the other companies as well. So I've been lucky that a lot of people have believed in me or have been like, well, you did deliver on that, not promise, but we gave you more money, the team did better. If we give you more, hopefully you'll do better again and represent us. So yeah, I don't know, compounding of fun and exposure.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that is pretty cool too, The the fact that, like you said, you kind of grew with the company like, not a lot of people are prepared to initially take, not like take a hit, but you know, you sort of can, like you said, you could have gone and rode for a factory team, but you start at the ground floor and then you make yourself like to go back to win again, you know, like with win and GT, like you sort of think GT, you think win, and that's so. Valuable to do as a writer to like ingrain yourself in a company. And I feel like it's the same thing with Pivot. Like if you went to a different brand or if they lost you to somebody else, like that's a big part of their brand identity. And that's become like this genuine thing that you've built for yourself over time.
2: Yeah, hundred percent, like you say, with winning GT, and I couldn't be luckier because I didn't really think about it at the time, honestly. Like I rode for the UK guys. Like I said, when I started with the UK people, Pivot were two years old. Mm. So I was only skeptical because the company because I'd never heard of it. But as soon as they wanted to give me a chance, I didn't really have anything else at the time. So I was like, "Yeah, this is sick." And I honestly never thought it was like building something with the brand, not in a good way or a bad way. I like wasn't selfless selfless enough to think I want to build something with them. It honestly just kept going. And the guy, like the owner, is super interesting guy because he's so smart. Like he's super engineeringly minded as well as like a businessman and everything, you know. So sometimes you're like, shit, does he hate me? Does he like me? I've thought that so much over the years. And now I know (laughs) like obviously, hopefully we get on pretty well. Cause like I can text the owner of a bike company, you know, how valuable that is. Like a lot of people that ride for these big companies can't just text the owner of Giant and be like, hey, by the way, like, I was just wondering if we've got this or is this color coming out or whatever it is. I can text the owner of the company, which is, I feel so lucky. And everyone there, like the staff that I deal with are so cool because a lot of them have been there a while but when i started i don't know how many staff there honestly 10 15 staff yeah 10 maybe honestly not even 15 now there's 70 odd 70 or 80 i think at the office yeah Yeah. so when i started there was no one there so i think i'm just lucky well i am like i'm super lucky i fell on it when i did and they were young and they made awesome bikes and we've grown together but yeah i really appreciate that hopefully they do that i'm still there and I think it works like, well, it it looks like it works. We've got people like Eddie and stuff on board that trust that hopefully I run a good enough program for them to do well. And the bikes are undeniable. Like you could, whoever it is can get an offer sometimes ride for twice the money for a company with, um, like a bad bike just because it's uncool and they'll pay you more, but I'm lucky that we get paid pretty well. And the bike company literally, if I went and bought a bike, I would buy a pivot. (laughs) Like they're as nice as you're going to get. You know, they're up to like a $10,000 bike. can't really get a nicer bike so we're pretty lucky with that
1: that's so interesting what you say about being able to text the owner of the company man like fuck that is insanely valuable dude
2: like like honestly crazy or even like when i'm super hyped like eddie and the enduro team killed it at that and i was so hyped that i could text him and be like dude you won the team overall like enduro world champions like your bike brand has won that which is like, even that's so valuable. I feel like like I was so stoked and got to tell him that. Mm. Whereas like some other companies, you're passing out through five people, you know, and you don't feel his excitement back, which yeah. like fuels you want to do better. Or like, yeah, even things like that is awesome. So yeah, so, so lucky. And like he's the staff, he surrounds himself with obviously are really good, which is why he's got a successful company. But yeah, dealing with them and him or they'll ask I guess hopefully they know I want to help they'll ask input from me on like hey we think these riders are cool what do you think or stuff like that or like hey we we're thinking of doing this what do you think and or I'll be like hey can we do this what do you guys think so yeah now the, the brand of building with them has been awesome
1: have you had any kind of like big input on the bike itself over the years or like different products that they've released
2: yeah, definitely. They always ask us, like, hey, what do you think of this? Or we're going to send you this bike, like the first version of our new downhill bike. They sent me a metal one for ages before they made carbon. And we were like, this is good. bad. Hey, we snapped a shock. Like, this should not happen. Mm. We really need to address this before you sell this. So, yeah, we do have input. But a lot of the stuff they do, they he knows what he's doing. We'll just get the bike and we'll do better. Like, if a new one comes out and we haven't tested it, we'll still, like, Literally every bike they've sent us, even if we haven't put too much into it, we've done better at the next race than it, like an enduro bike or something. She's like, well you can't really argue with them; they know what they're doing."
1: Yeah, dude. That, yeah, that's super cool, man. So you guys, so you run that enduro program as well, as well board. as a downhill. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
2: That was basically because Eddie had his team that he ran for a different bike company, and then that was coming to an end. He was looking for a ride, and pivot asked me like hey we want to like make our enduro team better like do you know any riders we could put on it that's better and i said to them i was like hey why don't i just run it as well i know some riders not being sneaky but i was kind of like i knew before they'd even said as soon as they said that i, was like, I know who we're getting I yeah. was yeah like, right eddie when you have a meeting like it was in switzerland like i even remember i had the meeting i got him in the sprinter at the time i had i was like right what do you want um, I'm trying to get pivots to run an enduro team through me. I think we can make it sick. You'll race down too. two. Same day, 10 minutes later, his, me- his mechanic comes into the van. I have a meeting with him, like, right, if Eddie gets rid of his team, do you want to come on board? He seems keen, you seem keen, right, done deal. And then I said to Pivot, right, I'll run your enduro team, these are your riders. And everything, I haven't had to convince them, but I guess I have. I have to sell it to the owner and the people, like, 50, whatever it is. But this is why I need it. This is what we're going to get. I promise it's going to be good. And I promise it's going to work out. You trusted me before. It Please trust me again. I know I'm a child, but, but <laughs> this is who we're going to get. I know he hasn't had great uh, Enduros before, but he was on a one. It's a shit bike. We're putting him on a pivot. He's going to do good. Everyone we've ever put on the team has done the best they've ever done. So <laughs> it's kind of like proven itself, which is cool that they have trusted it. And we've backed it up, but yeah, I'm waiting for that day where we get someone aboard and they don't. But hopefully it keeps going in the right direction. But yeah, we have the Enduro thing now with Eddie, so he kills it.
1: Yeah, and is that... Well, I guess it sort of just adds to the fun of it, right? Because it's not like you guys are just doing, you know, the just the downhill series and then you got this big off-season or whatever. It's like you guys kind of get to do more shit together.
2: Yeah, I think it's rad, especially for the boys like Matt and Eddie that come from New Zealand. They come over for so long. I don't know how they do it, like all the way to Europe, just leave home. I think it fills the weeks up a bit more. If they're away for four months and they do six races, they'll get so bored. Mm. So they might come away for four months and do 14 races now. So maybe it's a bit hectic at times and too many races, but I think it makes it better for them. And normally the Enduros go to cooler places. The downhill kind of now just goes to the same place on the same weekend each year. So that's a bit stale, but the Enduro switches it up, so... I don't know. I think it keeps it fresh to them and makes them train. That's for sure. They're fit. I did three this year and I hated them. <laughs> <laughs> they like doing them. The places are cool and the events are rad, but yeah, I don't really like racing them personally.
1: Do you think? Um, now, I reckon that once they start, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know too much about the mountain bike thing. So if there's already shit going on, but I think like they the whole e-bike thing on Enduros would be pretty sick. Like, can you imagine the kind of ground you could cover if you raced Enduros on e-bikes? And it was like all the good dudes were doing it?
2: Yeah, it would be sick if they do it well, but they did start it this year. And I don't want to bag on the EWS, but they put the shittest tracks in, dude. Like, the oh, worst really? tracks you could ever do. So it just makes it crap. That's why the was tracks are shit. And the same with the e-bike. They put, like, uphill stages in, like, janky rocks that don't flow. So you're like breathing out your ass pedaling up these like shit rock sections into a five minute shit downhill on your e-bike so because that's what everyone's asked me are you gonna do it i'm like dude i love e-bikes i think e-bikes are rad they get people out riding they handle unreal like yeah for sure i would do one but they put them up shit tracks man so i don't know they need to work that out before it's gonna get good but it, it has potential
1: yeah, I think that, yeah, the potential of it if they do a good job, man. Like, that would be so much fun to race. Like, even for... So fun. For, like, moto dudes too, you know? Like, I love I love mountain biking. But I've pretty much stopped mountain biking nowadays because I got motocross and I got jiu-jitsu. And my jiu-jitsu is my training that I do through the week and then I did ride motocross on the weekend. And, like, I don't have any spare, like body left like my body's completely fucking <laughs> roached at the end of every single week but e-bikes man like if i had an e-bike dude i'd be fucking on that shit constantly because it's not as taxing you're behind bars you're all the skills that you're working uh are there and i think they handle better than a, a normal mountain bike i think and a little bit closer to like a moto so man like i could see myself even signing up for some e-bike enduros if they yeah, if they were pretty sick
2: yeah i think they're rad like you say they handle so good like they're so planted yeah. in the ground for, especially if you're kind of a motor it's not so skittery and like loose so they ride unreal you are still getting a workout but you're not killing yourself up a hill so i think they're honestly one of the best inventions and best things to come to mountain bikes i know a lot of purists might hate me for that and i know americans definitely hate them more than europeans right now and it's taking longer to come around but I think people will see they're an unreal bit of kit. They ride amazing and they just get more people out there. So I think thing that puts more people on bikes is rad. And they're awesome, dude. If you had a, if you had one, you would ride it so much more than you think. I guarantee it. You oh, like dude. buzz down the street and you smile. Like, they're so sick.
1: Yeah, well, my, my parents, so like this speaks to exactly what you just said. So like my parents both have uh, e-bikes and like they're both in their 50s. And then they ride to the trails even. Like the trails are only five minutes from my parents' house. So they can ride to the trails. Zero, you know, they're not really breaking a sweat to even get in there. And then if I took my dad on a ride on like a naturally aspirated bike, if we did like 12Ks, he'd be pretty fucking cooked. But he can go (laughs) and hit like every single descent in the trail network on the e-bike. And he's as cooked as if he just did two but he's still getting the, yeah, work dude, out, it's you know? the same
2: it's so sick like i've been out with my mum. like we got her a pivot one as well Siege. and um like i can i can go out for a ride with her and i'll ride an e-bike on eco she'll ride it on turbo and yeah. we're honestly the same speed she might be a little bit quicker then because like turbo is so much help uphill but then she can be easy trails or, like even medium trails she's like not bad which is pretty cool and we've gone an hour two hour ride together which she would never ever manage on a normal bike but now she's out riding like bikes, which is awesome. Like just like having fun riding down trails that otherwise she'd be like, I can't be bothered to ride up there, man. It's going to take me an hour to get to the top and I get one descent. Mm. Whereas now she can do five descents in an hour, you know, and like cruise around the woods. Like she'll ride to the horses just through some forests to get there now, like where she like helps my sister. Yeah. And otherwise she just drive 20 minutes, but she's like, Oh, I'll just ride 40 minutes each way. And that'll be my ride for the day. So I, I I'm a, big big fan of e-bikes i think they're rad
1: man it's so cool too that your mum can get some like actual physical enjoyment out of mountain biking because it sounds like she had to sacrifice a lot for you to mountain bike
2: dude yeah so much time
1: and effort like yeah
2: feel bad of it now but we got her an e-bike and got her a present so <laughs> she's stoked in that but yeah she sacrificed a lot of time and effort probably put a few took a few years off her life i mean with the stress she went through for it but yeah she loves the e-bike now it's sick and yeah. She can't get on it enough really. Hopefully she gets some more spare time soon.
1: Did you did you have perspective when you were younger of like how much effort your mum did have to put into like getting your career off the ground? I did for sure and
2: didn't. Now I look back, I like really appreciated some things, I think, or like appreciated a lot of it and then I think, dude, it's just as you're a dumb teenager, you get older. Like, you know, like you do stupid shit. I remember this one race, like did I have a house party or someone else? We were like 16 or 17. And my mum was going to have to marshal the next day. And I think that she's, we couldn't really afford the race entry. So she marshaled at the race. She became chief marshal in the end because she's quite bossy. She went, right, you go there, you go there, whatever. (laughs) She would marshal. You get free race entry if you marshal. But if you're chief marshal, you get free race entry and pay like a hundred pounds a day. She'd like literally run the show and sort out all the other marshals, make sure they had their flags, what they were doing. So she would do that. And I remember this one time now I look back, like I went out the night before or something. Cause I was like 17 or something. I was like, I'm the man's man. I don't think of what I want. And I remember how impressed she was. Cause she's doing all this effort the next day and I'm just like asleep literally at the track, like at this race, it was a national race, but I like won every race that day, which is bad. I know. Cause then you like don't really learn, but I did really think about it afterwards. Cause I remember thinking like I was the man, like I've won every race. I've won a national race today and I didn't even sleep last night. But she was still mad at me. And I thought about it after I was like, yeah, you're a dick. Like, she's putting in more effort than you today just because you're good, but she's still putting more effort in. So I think I started to like appreciate it more and be like, oh, do like, I don't know, appreciate what she was actually doing. <laughs> like, not just that I had to do good, but like she's putting in effort. So I need to put effort in. Mm. And especially now, like, she's still like pumped on it and she's like, not madam if I'm slacking, but she's like, Look, I want you to do good for you. Just do good for you and try hard. So yeah. Appreciate it now when think of it a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's sort of the the real curse of talent, right? Because I mean, you you watch you ride on a bike, even on a moto, dude, like you've got fucking sick style. Like, some guys are just born with style on a bike. And you're one of those guys. But the downside <laughs> of that is that a lot of times, those guys are fuckwits. <laughs> dude, yeah,
2: for sure. I was like, you said I was a fuckwit that night. Like, it didn't matter that I won. I think she was mad probably because she's putting an effort all day, dude, running, running around the forest trying to organize people and I'm just sitting there like a useless piece of shit in a chair. Like, it didn't matter that I won. I think, yeah, she was still just mad. Like, what are you doing, man? For some bloody effort and I am. So, you're right. It's... <sighs> you do some dumb shit. <laughs> you see it every sport. Oh, Yeah. A hundred
1: percent, man. Like I've, I've worked with guys in, in motocross where they're just so fucking good and they just don't give a fuck because it just comes so easy to them, you know? And I think like the average punter, like myself, I ain't a super talented (laughs) rider on a bike, you know? And you always look at those guys and you're just like, fuck man, like I'd kill for what you have. But, but then you can't, I guess you sort of, you can't really have one without, the other, you know, like if I could sit here and say, like, oh, I'd kill to have that talent. But if you were born with it and you never knew any other way, then you, you can't help but well, you couldn't help but be the way that those guys are. You know, every those talented yeah. dudes are kind of like that for a reason. They just don't know any other way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. Like with whips, you are like I see people trying whips so much. And not that I'm the best guy at whips in the world, but I don't, I've never had to try or think about it. They just, they just come and yeah, maybe if I actually put more work in, I'd be way better at them. So it's a hard one, but I think like with growing up and maturity, it takes longer than you think, dude, when you're 18, you think you know everything, but mm-hmm. you've really learned now. And even like recently, I'm like, I need to train, dude, and I need to like focus and try hard if I want to do good at this. And I don't want to race for too many more years if I'm honest. Like I've loved it, but I've been racing world cups now pretty much since I was like 16. And what am i now like 30 i'm 29 30 next year i've done like 13 or 14 world cup seasons which is a shit ton mm. dude I'm pretty much the same places most year on the same weekend each year people like you travel so much I'm like no i go to scotland on this weekend every year i go to austria on this weekend every year To the same shitty town Or some of them are cool towns some of them aren't but um yeah i don't want to race for too many more years so i really need to pull my finger out and really try like when you watch some of those moto documentaries of villopoto yeah he does good some years but the years he tries and focuses they do better even for the most talented dudes they suddenly pull their finger out because there's guys out there that aren't the most talented but are working so so much harder which yeah. is crazy when you see that so
1: well dude like the you you got to look at stewie man like he's the most talented guy probably ever right the year he went 24 and 0 alden baker
2: yeah, exa- it's, it's literally proven, yeah. It doesn't matter if he's the most talented before. You're not going to do that. You train, you're the most talented, you just beat everyone. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just maturing enough to bloody realize that. It's hard work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, the guys that ultimately really, really leave the sport in a crazy place, like, I mean, to talk mountain bikes, a guy like Loic, man, That motherfucker is so talented, like insanely talented. Dude, also works his ass off.
2: Dude works his like he is insanely talented, but I wouldn't say he's the most insanely talented. But I reckon, like you say, he works so much harder than ninety nine point nine percent of people. Like I think he works so 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 hard, which is I think his talent almost more than his Mm. bike riding. Like if you went to some jumps with him, he's not the best guy on jumps, dude. Like yeah. watching him ride through dirt jumps, it's like how he's luck. Like he's so fucking good on the bike. How can't he ride through those jumps or how can't he do a whip? But I guess his talent is racecraft and training hard. Yeah, uh, well, Obviously, like, he's really good on the bike, but yeah, he's just worked so goddamn hard. It's insane.
1: Well, man, like, dude, perfect example. I did a shoot one time with Roxon and Dungy out in Glamis in the sand dunes. And yeah. You'd look at Dunge and you were like, How the fuck is this dude a three time supercross champion? Like he just <laughs> he looked he looked like not not a fucking a goon, but like you Kenny was out there and Ken was just like the dudes at Fox who were shooting for Fox are just like, Ken, no, come here, come here. Like they're full tripping on Kenny. Cause he's just like, Oh, I'm yeah. gonna go jump that fourth gear just fucking sends this shit and he's just doing like these huge whips and Dunge is just like straight airing everything and it's like Dunge probably beat Ken in every race that year yeah
2: dude that's like Loic honestly he is really talented like you have to be really talented but I think he just works a lot harder than most people and trains and does way more time practice runs way more data set up on his bike but yeah if you went down a track blind with Loic or jumps he's definitely not going to be the best rider there mm. which is super weird so yeah same kind of thing i guess
1: yeah so i mean is that for 2021 like are you gonna really try and focus in on that style of thing or is it just not your style i guess i don't know
2: we do like to have if i'm not having fun i'm not gonna do good i'm generally yeah. not gonna do good so i need to have fun but a couple years ago when i started like being top 10 almost at every race like i'd qualify top 10 i would come fifth i'd qualify top 10 i'd come at eight i really focused that year i had such a good offseason in new zealand i didn't get hurt because i get hurt in the off because we have too much fun yeah and like it was real good year so i think i've honestly got maybe one or two years left racing in me max like matt like if i'd won world champs this year i was done i was gonna retire that day <laughs> i said to myself my mum, everyone i was like i honestly went to world champs to win i was like i'm just gonna try and win this and i'm retiring which i did i got fifth dude i was like one second off top three 0.9 off top three but then i got smoked the winner beat me by seven seconds but like i knew i had it i don't know why going into that race i was like it's gonna be raining it's gonna be shit if i put the run of my life together i could win this week and for like a month leading up i was like i'm retiring if i win like i'm going like the plan is to win. i want to win a world cup or world champs and and then be done like racing. But I think I love riding bikes and riding Z 50s around my garden and all the other shit more. And hopefully my sponsors value me running the team enough, finding cool new riders and up and coming kids and doing cool stoppy content and stuff that I don't need to race forever. So Mm. I'm pretty hyped to like do that, but I do want to win dudes. Yeah. 2021, like we're going to go train so hard. My mum's like already motivated. because She knows I wanted to do better at worlds than I did. So like I was gutted, to be so mad with the fifth place in the world. Like I was really pissed off. I was trying to be happy about it, but I was pissed. So she's like, right, well, if you're pissed at that, she's like, I was real sad, you're upset. You need to try and do better next year. So yeah, even though we can't travel and maybe there won't be a race season, but it's looking like there will be race seasons now. We just have to hope the world stays kind of normalish as it is right now as normal as whatever this is normal. And then, yeah, I'm gonna train real hard for next year do like a full if i'm gonna do it dude i haven't got a long left let's just go out trying as hard as we can try
1: <laughs> yeah and so you 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 think that you'd still like the team's established so it's not like when you retired you you'd lose the team you know like you'd still be able to keep running that that factory team full pivot i mean hopefully they'll let me i hope they will.
2: <laughs> i really enjoy the team side of things and like at races i probably get more nervous watching eddie or yeah. Or Matt come down, or Emily. I get so nervous watching them, like more nervous than probably I am at the start of my run. And I think that's kind of cool. Like I'm hyped on it, and I think they appreciate it. Like I put a lot of time in on the off season, making sure we have a truck, making sure we have a van, sending invoices to people so we have money to pay for flights, or doing order forms for all the bikes get here. Like we put so much time in the off season between me and all of our sponsors because like, I I talked to mary at the office rachel at the office like we'll speak on the phone at the minute for maybe an hour two hours a week or even more some weeks you know i think all that work is real cool when you get to a race and you see everything come together and eddie dial that run in like i it's like pretty rewarding really and even just seeing the tenant in the pits and when we did have fans at races it's cool like how buzzed people get i used to think we were super selfish like we'd travel around the world we'd spend all this money ruin the environment just so we could have fun at a weekend. But when you actually see how much enjoyment that brings thousands of other people or like mm. inspires kids to ride or whatever, like it's not quite as selfish as I thought. Like kids get buzzed, old dudes at home get buzzed to go out and ride on a Sunday after or whatever, like it is pretty cool. So I think running the team's rad for that. Like you're running this thing that hopefully gets people hyped to ride and race and yeah, I enjoy it. And trying to find new people like there's this kid we help in the New Zealand a minute called sam gale like he's an up-and-coming kid he's 19 and he won all their nationals this last off season like the summer your side of the world just gone yeah and he's like literally first year elite is beating sam blankensop eddie george all the key he's like smashing them out of the water so i was like right dude have you got a ride for this year in the world cups so he's like no, no no i was like right we're getting you a pivot if you want he was like unreal on board and then he couldn't travel because of coven we didn't have races but you get a real like buzz off that as well like helping him out and seeing him get stoked and then being like he was real mad because he didn't beat me at crankworks he crashed (laughs) at the beginning in Rotorua, but it was kind of fun like there's this kid i haven't really met before and he's like a bit shy but like he wants to be cocky he's real mad he didn't beat me but it's real fun to like see that. Cause I'm like, Oh, you shouldn't fucking beat me at 15 years old. or years, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm Like, yeah. you little shit, you better not beat me, but Fit it's cool. Down. Like they're going to beat you at some point. <laughs> yeah. But they're going to beat you at some point. And yeah, I think that's rad. So I'd love to continue the team hopefully and be able to pass. Hopefully what I've learned on the good yeah. things I've learned. <laughs> yeah. On to like kids or people or be like, look, look at this line or don't know whatever it is. And, I know traveling's cool. Like I drove the just me drove the truck this year, but I kinda like that. Like it's still like kind of van life, dude. Just okay, it's a very very, very big van, but just cruising through Europe in the van with a dog, to know, friends, girlfriend, whatever. It's just it's a good time, dude, just cruising through. So I don't know. Man, I I'm think we live forever.
1: It's something I've been thinking about a lot more lately, uh, especially when people ask about you know, they're like, Oh, it's the podcast, like the only thing you do, and and you know, like, oh, you do this and you do that. And I sort of was thinking about it. And I mean it's the same, like Sammy Moore, the guy that owns Fist, he's like my best mate. And uh and yeah. it's the same sort of thing with him. We were we were talking, we we're just riding back from one of our motor rides, and we we're like, I said, I think the people that are successful in this shit are the ones that will do what you did at the start and just break even because Pretty much like literally this month is like the first month. Well, there's been a couple months this year that I've made money. I've been doing this podcast three years and I've been like, I've got this six studio and I've got all the cameras. and But like you accumulate all this shit, but I'm not making any money. Like I'm just, you get money. Yeah. Then you buy a new camera, your bank accounts at zero. And then you just don't really go out. You don't really do any other shit. You fucking read books because they're cheaper than anything else. And then you get more money and then you buy the next camera. And then you do this and then you do this. And it's taken me three years to get to the point where like I've made money this month and I don't really have anything I have to spend it on. And that feels fucking that's really... sick. But, <laughs> but you know like That feels cool to do that. And that's just a bonus. That's not the goal. You know what I mean? Like the goal for me has never been to essentially like I every month I need to make this money that goes into an account that I don't touch or I spend on myself or whatever. And it's just like, all this is to me is like, this is the lifestyle I want to live. I enjoy talking to people and I enjoy the fact that like I can get up like this morning, get up at 5am, do my shit. We're talking at seven. That's a fucking good day for me. And it's like, this is the lifestyle that I would want to live. And I don't need to be paid well to do this life. And I think that it's sort of the same thing on your end, you know? Like, you didn't need to be making this surplus of money in your account for all those first years because it's like the lifestyle that you wanted to live was travel around in a van, race some World Cups, do as good as you could, and you're fucking cheering. And it's like, I think that people, if anyone... You know, people would say to me all the time, like, oh, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? It's like, dude, just be okay with being a fucking bum, but doing what you want (laughs) to do. Like reverse engineer your life. Go like, and for you, it was, you wanted to race world cups and drive around in a van and, and have fun with your mates. Well, let's reverse engineer. What's the bare minimum cost (laughs) that you need to make to fucking pull that lifestyle off without going to jail? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pretty much dude honestly you said it so
2: perfect it's exactly what it was and like you said we could i could have written for a factory team but i didn't want to and i didn't even think about it like some months would be like i don't know if i'd call it stressful i don't really like the word stressful because i don't know you just don't get stressed but like it didn't matter that i wasn't making money and it wasn't like you know people like dude it doesn't matter that i'm not making money i didn't even think about it honestly yeah. as yeah. long as i could like Maybe get some beers on the weekend, or maybe do this. or be like, right, if I save up next week, I can buy a pit bike, or whatever it was. It didn't matter because you're right. All I was doing was what I wanted to do. And like, fuck, how lucky is that? If I could break even, or lose a hundred dollars every month and do what I want to do, I would be stoked, dude. And like something we do now, which is almost more reverse engineering or forward. I don't even know what this would be. Is that I buy scratch cards sometimes? I'll be in the petrol station and our lottery. It's called the National Lottery. Yeah, a lot of that. Money goes. like when I went to World Champs in 2009 in Australia. The national lottery paid for that. They paid for all of our juniors' flights, our hotel. Oh wow! A lot of the money goes to good things. So I know if I'm buying a scratch card, I might win a A lot of that money helps children, kids, skate parks get built, whatever it is. So it's a real cool thing here. But I'll buy them and I normally bring them home and I won't spend hours because I like, think about all the cool shit you could do with that. I really enjoy it. Being like, right, if I won 250 grand now, what? Would i do tonight if i won a million what i do and then people always ask me that if you win the lottery tonight what you can do i'll run the team yeah i will run i will go to work like i wouldn't change my life because i do it because it's so fun like okay maybe i'd fly there in a helicopter but i would still go to the world cups dude like i would honestly i would race season and i would run the team if i won 100 million pounds tonight like which is so cool and the other way like I would do it because I'm broke but even if I had so much money I didn't need to get paid by pivot and everyone I would still do it like, like it was so fun like yeah I guess it's just what we enjoy doing is super weird and lucky that we're good enough or we've tried hard enough at having fun to do it for a job because yeah that's the other thing I'd say like people are like how did you make money of it I said I get really good at having fun all I did was got really really good at having fun I tried to have fun I'm more and more and more than I got good at having fun. And now luckily I get, we have to do some shitty days of work. Like it's raining outside and we'll go training, but most of it's pretty, fun, so yeah, pretty really.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so uh, true to say that you would do what, like, I think that's the goal, you know, like to, if you, let's say someone like, I don't even buy a fucking lottery because I just don't care. I'm like, I just, I do what I'm doing now. Like, it probably, it's yeah. kind of re- retarded in a way because, like, obviously, to make your life easier. But for me, I'm just like, I just don't give a fuck. Like, this is literally exactly what I want to do. And if I don't want to do it anymore, I'll just stop and do something else. But that's... Should- Change, dude. It's so easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that... Yeah, I just think that people... The, the level of... Like, to me... You know, there, there's that de- dude. There's times all the time, like I've been so far behind in rent. Like, I'm lucky. Like, there's times like Harry Bink is my fucking landlord, which is pretty dope. <laughs> but there's been times like, Let's see. but even this year where I've owed him like heaps of money because I'm like, dude, I need to keep the fucking podcast running. Like, I can't pay you rent. <laughs> I can't pay you rent, bro. I'll get you back in a couple months, you know. But like, that's to me. I don't know whether I'm fucked up, but, like, that to me just isn't a big deal. I'd rather... Dude, not at all, yeah. It's like whatever the fuck keeps the wheels on the wagon, I don't care.
2: Yeah, I think people, like, worry about that. People say, like, you're not stressed. like, what stress? Like, that's, like, perception or whatever. Because, like, if I stress about this, it's not going to help because I can't pay my rent right now. I don't know, as long as I don't get kicked out, it doesn't matter, I'll work out a way to pay it. Or like, I went on this TV show for this not paying this bill to Mercedes. Like the bailiffs turned up at my house and like high court enforcement. Because oh, no, I didn't have it. But at the time, they tried this huge bill and all this money and it was ridiculous how out of hand it got. And then I did have the money to pay it and I refused to because they were trying to rip me off. Hey, I'll refuse to pay shit if it's like unjust, <laughs> dude. But I'm like... Nah, I don't know. Yeah, I would rather still be broke or whatever, that or whatever it is, and doing what I want to do. I would still rather be broke if I just got to dig dirt in the garden rather than do some shitty job and hate my life, you know, or whatever it is. But it's funny. I don't know. Yeah, people, we probably are weird to some people that we're happy doing this for no money or all the money or whatever. But I don't know. I guess you can't help with what you enjoy as well. Mm. And like, now, my girlfriend said tonight, she said, What are you doing? I was like, Oh, I've got to, go. I was joking with her. I was like, oh, I've got to go to work at nine for two or three hours. Yeah. Like, and I'm joking, dude. But, like, this is work. This is rad. Like, I'm, this is what I want to do tonight, though. I get to talk to you, like, fan of the show, and, like, it's fun to talk about, like, bikes and all this cool shit. But at the same time, I am at work. Like, I'm promoting my brands, hopefully, and telling you, like, this cool story, and hopefully people will listen to it. It's like, Well, oh, that's quite cool. Like, we learned about him or this. But yeah, like you say, it's what I want to do. Like, I'm lucky that I get to just chat shit with someone on air and hopefully it's like does good, I guess, or something. I don't know. It doesn't really yeah, well, like work. It, I guess it kind of is.
1: <laughs> yeah, one yeah, one hundred percent it's work, man. And and yeah, like that I think that that's the goal for yeah, for people to to know what it takes. Like it takes a fuckload of work and it just takes this like completely turning a blind eye to comfortable. And I always talk about, you know, Sam with fist, like it's it's 10 years that fist has been a company and people look at sam and like the last couple years like it's really blown up and everyone's on fist he's got the craziest team and everyone you know it's like this 10 year overnight success and it's like man i've seen that dude (laughs) i've seen him just fucked fucked with money fucked over by people like working three jobs like literally working almost 24 hours a day like working at fist in the morning working at a skate park then working at a bar and just doing that for fucking years man like and us all being like dude you're killing yourself man like something's got to give and he just like i just don't give a fuck i don't give a fuck like it is what it is and it's like make it work yeah yeah that's the attitude that you have to have if you want to do this and it's like What's a couple of years of living like a like dude I've lived like a fucking bum for so many years <laughs> you know but it's like what what's a what's it matter to live like a bum for five years if you set yourself up like yourself now you know like you retire from racing and you run this team for for fucking years man you know it's like that yeah. sacrifice and if you're enjoying it while you're in the middle of that crazy sacrifice, fucking win-win that's, that's a good bit exactly
2: like as long as you enjoy even like the crazy shit bit or whatever you want to call it like we broke down in like a van and we we're up till 5 a.m driving to the next race because we we're stuck in belgium for a day and the vans had a fan belt go or this And at a time you're like this is shit man but you're still then the next day like yeah we have the shit journey to get here and you yeah. are enjoying it and like as long as you like the one thing I try to live by is it doesn't matter. Like nothing matters. If I lost all my money to today- that tomorrow, like I've got a ha- I just bought a house three months ago. If I lost my house, my cars, my van, my truck, everything it doesn't actually matter. Okay, it would suck. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, dude, I go get a job at McDonald's next week? Easy, like easy. Like I'm having so much fun. And like, even through the shit, I was real lucky to have this perspective, like so much stuff. I went wrong, It broke the van broke again. Mercedes needed this money. I got three flat tires to snap to and snapped a chain. I was like, I'm still having fun. Like for somehow, I'm still enjoying this, I'm still going, and like I still don't know if anything else I want to do right now. You know all I want to do is still do that, even though it was technically shit, you could say at the time. I was loving it, and I would realize that like, dude, as long as I don't die today, it doesn't really matter. like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm riding my bike or I'm stood here with my friend in a field in Austria. Like, life is sick, dude. Like, I'm so lucky. And as soon as I think I realized that, like, nothing – I know it matters. Like, and people have different things that matter. And, like, you need money to feed your kids or, like, eat food. Like, it's different for everyone. I'm, I'm lucky enough that, like, dude, if everything went wrong tomorrow and I lost every cent I own, my mum would probably put me in her basement or whatever, I'd get a job at McDonald's next week and I would be fine. You yeah. Know? And, like, I guess if I, like – look at stuff like that i'm always like dude life is sick like i'll just keep trugging along riding bikes for as long as i can and it's a good time
1: yeah and there's always something that you've got in your current situation to be super grateful for
2: dude so grateful like literally everything i like dug out this thing from a patio i want to build out and i'm grateful for that I'm like wow this is such a sick piece of dirt i got here to build a patio like you've always got something like you can look at i'm like dude that's rad that i've got that or i've achieved that and like With the team, it's crazy. Like we keep saying, I did not even really think like, oh, I've got this goal of being rich. Or when I was a kid, I wanted to be a millionaire. All I wanted to be. And then I got so over that for like, didn't really care as I grew up. And with the team like now, like we get paid pretty well, if I'm honest. Like we do good at racing. We run a good team. And I have like some cool stuff now. Like, whoa, I didn't really ever think I would get here. But this is so rad. Like Mm. you go through this shit and it is don't know. It's rad. (laughs) It's hard to say, you know, but I would do it all pretty much for free. I don't want to tell the sponsors that. (laughs) I mean, mean, you know, do you know, Connor Fearon is the Australian? Yeah. Yeah. He's like a downhill rider. Me and him joke for so long. We're like in a scam because like, what if these companies realized we would ride bikes for free? Like if every (laughs) bike company at at one point in the day realized we'd do it for free and all stop paying us, we would all still do it for free if they all like yeah. agreed as a union of bike companies not to pay a single rider we would all still do it for free you know <laughs> and we're like oh it's a scam dude because a clothing company could be like oh we'll pay you a grand clothes i'm like nah you're gonna have to pay me two grand to wear your clothing like that's a scam dude i would wear, like we have to wear clothes otherwise we'll be naked <laughs> <know>? <laughs> like, but we're so lucky that we've like tried hard enough at having fun or something we love doing we're like nah you guys gotta pay me water on your clothes or this rad bike that i actually love and i secretly would ride for free <laughs>
1: so kind of funny the fucked up thing though is that like even for me looking on that as someone that knows how hard the journey is and like from in just speaking of my own journey through this shit like i still look at your youtube channel i'm like fucking look at this little rich cunt <laughs>
2: <laughs> i promise i'm not it looks like i'm now my old house that i rented at had this
1: huge fancy driveway
2: like real long drive i like ride the motocross bike stuff and stuff so that was like a shared estate driveway but it looks fucking ridiculous dude and like <laughs> yeah it looks like I'm real rich and like I saved up for you, so I'm 29 now and I just bought a house this year so like I didn't buy a house for so long and like I had a real fancy car before I don't know if you know I have Eddie said or anything but yeah what, do you, what do you have it's still free Hurry! like what, last what, year did I have it or the year before what was it Last oh, year, an F430? Oh, Ferrari. Yeah, Ferrari. An, an F430 boy. Ferrari. <laughs> but I know, but dude, I always wanted one since I was a kid and I kept it a secret when I had it. I didn't post it on Instagram or anything. Like, I didn't post it anywhere while I had it because I was like, i going to think I'm boy. Everyone's going to think you're this spoiled little rich kid. And I honestly, I was so uncool and it, so lame. I'd like go and turn it on outside and like stare at it and like open the engine bay and, Like, when I drove it, I was a geek. Like girlfriend at the time would laugh at me cause she was like, you're so uncool. And this, like, that's like, <laughs> super, super hyped on it. Dude. Like always wanted it my whole life. Like even now, like, I sold it last year. I put a photo of it on Instagram, like three months after I sold it and didn't write that it was mine or anything just to see like what people would say as a joke. But yeah, it like people think you're rich or whatever, but I saved up for that my whole life dude. Like after I started making money like forever and like, I know it's funny, yeah, how like people perceive you or whatever. Like you little fuck, you like I worked a lot of years for this. Like since yeah. I was twelve years old, I've been trying hard at biking, and in any other job, dude, if you were like tenth best world solicitor in the world, you know you'd yeah, probably true. be making loads of good. Or tenth best doctor in the world, you be making shit tons of money. So I'm like, ah, fuck it. If we want to have nice stuff, we can have nice stuff now. We can afford it. But I sold that now. Don't I got an old Porsche now? I got a 1991 uh, Porsche 964. It's a lot classier.
1: Not yeah, cool. that that thing looks sick. I actually was looking on your Instagram before you come on, and I saw the like the pivot on the roof rack. I was like, "Fuck, see, that's cool."
2: Yeah, it's like a air cooled one, so
1: that's pretty sick.
2: But um, yeah, definitely not a rich boy. My mum pretty. Much, my mum did go bankrupt doing all this for me. Bless her. So I owe her a lot. <laughs> definitely not a rich boy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is kind of it is kind of fucked up that you know the people just don't have context and then as soon as you it's just tall poppy you know like and it, it it's something that i think about a lot because obviously i know where i've come from and i know the work that i've put in but you know as soon as you start getting nice things and even i like ktm gave me a, a bike for six months and so like you pull up at the track and then everyone's like oh fucking hell the show must be going right. you got this bike." i'm like i give this back in six months and then dude, i'm everyone's
2: like, it's all right for you though <laughs> yeah. yeah and i'm like fuck
1: dude like so yeah i mean you it is it's hard to to have that in the back of your mind that like you sort of you come from such humble humble beginnings and you work so hard like like right now it's a trip for me i go into my shed like i live in an apartment building and i got this shed and i've got like a fucking cool last toolbox and you know what I mean? Like I got a Red Bull fridge and I built all my own benches and I got a twenty twenty three fifty 350 and an 03 YZ, YZ 252 stroke that I'm building. And like, I have to pinch myself for the fact that I just have that. And I mean, that's not, a, that's not crazy, you know, but when you sort of do no, come dude. from, like, it's such a process just to get those things and then to, to think that, you know, in the same way that I was like, "Fucking Bernard okay little rich boy." In the same way that like somebody <laughs> could somebody could think that, you know, it's like it is kind of a bummer that that's like the default setting that we seem to have as humans.
2: Yeah, I think the garage thing's so rad. Like the house I rented, I had these two toolboxes I got for it. They're five hundred quid each, but they look like these massive flash toolboxes. And uh, dude, I would leave the for honestly, the like, two years I lived there until I moved here. So it was like the front door of the house was like here and the next one's like here and they're like six feet apart. And if you leave the boat, like the one door was glass and the other one was wood, I'd leave that literally open every night for two years while I was in the house because I could see through into the garage to all the motorbikes and bikes and the toolboxes. I was like, dude, this is so fucking cool. And I'll just go out there and stand in there. And be like, I'm so stoked on this stuff. Yeah. Like, Tidying my toolbox up, just like you did. You're like so pumped on that stuff you have. You appreciate it. Even now that like we just tidy the garage up here, we're just finally kind of moving in and getting it sorted. I'm like, dude, this is so sick. And I got a container in the garden last week. We got a container dropped, like a yeah. 20-foot storage one for all like the team oils and spares and toolboxes. Dude, I just go so hyped on that. Like, oh, yeah. we've achieved this with the team. We've got a container, which to some people is nothing. And I'm like, I always wanted a storage container to have like yeah. pit bikes and stuff in. And it's so rad. It's, it's funny, but yeah, like you'll see as well. In five years' time or 10 years' time, you'll have like a nice apartment or a house. You'll post a photo of it on Instagram and everyone like, whoa, look at that rich guy. He just runs a podcast. He only started that a few years ago. And they yeah. won't realize you've been doing it for 10, 15 years. And like even before that, you'd probably been like having conversations with people and thinking about things and putting like wheels in motion. They won't realize you've put 10 years of work into it. Well, I mean,
1: and then I've, I've already had like stuff. a, I've had a 10-year career of filming. Like uh, then the name Gypsy comes from the fact that I left Australia at 20 as a kid. And just had, I bought a fucking camera and a tripod on a credit card. I still have the fucking tripod. I had to sell the camera. But I've still got the fucking original (laughs) tripod that I used. And I traveled around the world on nothing. Like, my dad always used to say, like, you need to write a book on how to travel the world on $20. Because literally, like, I, (laughs) man, $3,000 was basically... Like, if I had $3,000 in my account over that 10-year period, I was rich. Like, that was, like, the max that I fucking <laughs> For sure. made in my account. Like, it was <laughs> hectic, dude.
2: Yeah, it's so sick. Yeah, no one realized. See, 10 years is a long time to be going at it. And you're fucking right. Some oath, people will already be funny that you're getting lent a KTM. It's, it's funny, dude. Same with me with stuff. You're like, look, I promise, like, we've worked hard at this now. and I do do okay at races. But I feel guilty, honestly, and I'll be, like, embarrassed, like, with things even like the car i drive i'm like sometimes like oh people are looking at me but yeah it's funny but i guess it's a good thing i've got like a three-wheel car that's like a piece of shit as well i love driving that because you (laughs) like look poor in it so it's quite funny
1: (laughs) Oh, so when did the when did the you start riding motocross like what was the the catalyst into that did you do that as a kid alongside mountain bikes or was that something that you got into after you'd done well at mountain bikes or when did the moto thing come in 'Cause essentially you're fucking uh, the UK buttery.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Nah, buttery's a fucking G um, No, he's pretty sick. Jeez, he's big G on Instagram, but I we wrote as kids, like when I was like four or five, we rode for like a year, I think. I can't I can't remember it, if I'm honest really. But we rode at our house for like a year. And then I didn't ride one again until when I was 12 did I get one for like six months maybe no I was 11 I had one for six months and I didn't get one again until I was well I got a pit bike me and my mom got me a pit bike like a Chinese like 400 pound shitter yeah when I was 14 or 15 no I think I was 15 I got a Chinese pit bike and it was so sick dude I remember like riding it all the time like loving it it was so like bless it we didn't have any idea I remember the first day I got it it cut out and we couldn't work out how to start it, but the fuel was off. We had to call up the people, and it took like two days to get it started, I think, before we could get hold of it. Fucking and I was gutted at the time, dude. Like my mum was so sad for me, bless her. Like, it's so sad when I think back, you know, when you get all sad about an old time, you like, we just didn't even know how to use it. So I had that. Then I got a TTR 125, like the four-stroke ones. Boom boy! Got one of those. Dude, they're sick. So I had one of those for like a year, because like all the mountain bikers in the UK had them. So I was like, Mom, it's what they all have. I must need it for training. If they've all got one, I need it, had that. And then I got a motocross bike after that for like six months, like the shittest one, two, five ever. Like we didn't know anything. Bless her. We're like bullying my mum and to buy these for us. Like I feel horrible (laughs) about it, dude. She must've gone like, like they're like a a thousand dollar bike, but still had that. But we'd like, we honestly didn't have money to ride them. So we'd like. Ride around my grandma's field. She had like an acre field. We could ride it around, but like it was pretty flat. Or like there was a disused quarry we could go to sometimes, if we could get out. My brother got a license, but we wouldn't ride a lot. And then I probably didn't have one for a year. They probably had one for like six months, but in six months we'd ride them three or four times. You know? Yeah. Or like we'd just ride them on the shittest thing you've ever seen. it Wouldn't we? Wouldn't go to track? We'd barely go to tracks. So then I'd have one in winter. Then I wouldn't because I couldn't afford it. Then I'd have one in winter and then. And then we had them and they got stolen like we've been robbed so many times in england like it sucks motocross bikes get stolen all the time Fuck. so i had like a z50 and a 125 they both got stolen didn't have one for a while like i'd had them on and off dude like but barely yeah though. and i'd ride them like a track four times a year and then when i like had a couple in new zealand but again the tracks kind of there sucked and like i had a 125 in new zealand which was pretty cool for like one of the three months i was there but you'd ride it eight times, you know, max or whatever, because it's too dry and we're trying to ride mountain bikes. And then in 2015, when I won the King & Crankworks, I bought my first brand new bike with that prize money. What would you get? And then uh, KTM 350. Oh, Dude, sick. I like, researched so much and was like, I want to know what bike I want. But I couldn't afford, like, I bought the 15 at mm. the, like, mid-15s, you know? Yes. Yeah. So the 16s come out in, what, August or July normally. Yeah. Or whatever. But I couldn't afford a new one. I knew if I had spent seven grand on one, like pounds, I'd be under. So I was like, right, I've got to get the last year's one, but I'll find a brand new one somewhere. And I found out so many dealerships, I got a brand new 15. Like, dude, I reserved it before I won the money. Like, reserved it like a month and a half before I won the money. I was confident I was winning.
1: That's fucking awesome. But, um,
2: yeah. So then when I got home, or as well, was on on that trip, maybe I got my brother to, like, get it delivered or pick it up. But, um, yeah, so I got a brand new 15. And then from 2015 then, I've ridden quite a lot. Like, I bought that bike, rode it so much when I got home in September. I shipped it to New Zealand because I couldn't afford to buy another one. Really? Like, I took it to pieces, lied about the size of the boxes on, like, this shipping account I have, sent <sighs> it to New Zealand for, like, 500 bucks or 400 bucks, built it in New Zealand, rode it all summer in New Zealand, shipped it back to the UK, rode it there for, like, another year. And then... Yeah, since that, I guess, I've ridden quite a lot. It's like 2015 on, is that about right? And then like the next year or the year after I made that bet about the A1 thing. So, yeah, I don't know why I like suddenly got in a motor. I think all mountain bikers just think motors are real cool and like way sicker than what we do. The worse, the better.
1: <laughs> man, I that's one thing like, so for me, I race downhill. Like we've we've rode bikes our whole life. So I was like... When i had a bike and we did that whole deal like my dad used to race and and then i had this really bad uh crash actually this dude fucking parked on the we had like this grass track and this dude parked on this grass track and then opened his car door as i came past on a 50 and so i like turned oh. turned to try and like not hit this fucking car door and then this guy uh the handlebars went through my stomach and like into my intestines and i had to like but like nearly fucking died. So then mum was like, "Cool, that's it. Dude. They're they're fucking done." So I didn't have a bike again for fucking yeah, like years and years. But I uh, I saved up because my uncle's Glenn Jacobs. So okay. oh, we yeah, had sick. like, and not not like blood uncle, but he's like my dad's best best mate. So my whole life he's been Uncle Glenn. Yeah. And then, so anyway, we weren't allowed to do the mountain bike thing, uh, the motorbike thing for a while. So I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to get a downhill bike. So I bought an intense M1 and I just like, we, we just shoveled downhill tracks all around because I grew up in Cairns. So like we had the Cairns World Cup course and I lived on like the South side of town and there was no actual shuttles there. So like my whole fucking childhood was just like pushing mountain bikes uphill up hills and That's downhill right. and until we got a uh, dad ended up buying me and my brother we had to share a ttr 125 and so right. I went, dude i was a fucking senior racing a ttr 125 in like fucking pro pro lights <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but it's That's so right. crazy like anyway fucking fast forward all that And, like, my heroes, dude, is, like, Sam Hill and Chris Kovarik and Nathan Rennie and fucking all the mountain bike dudes. And it's something that, like, Mick Hanna was my next-door neighbor, Mick and Tracy. And uh, it was just, like, the downhill thing was just, like, I feel like my roots. And it's been so fucking crazy to start the podcast, and it's fairly moto, because that's sort of, like, what I did. And... Every yeah. fucking dude in the top ten downhill listens to this podcast, dude. Like everyone, yeah, it's sick. It's like, What's cooler? <laughs> I'm like, what a fucking trip, man. Like everybody, hey. <laughs> eh? And I was like, I never thought the whole like how it had come back full circle. You know, like everyone. I don't. I've never really talked that much about like the mountain bike sort of history, but to me now, it's a trip that all of those guys listen to listen to this because I'm like. It again it feels like a, a scam I'm like hey you guys don't know I actually fucking froth downhill so hard <laughs> Okay we're just fanboys of the motor that's
2: the problem though
1: <laughs> it, I, and I never realized that the like downhill guys were so hardcore into moto but I feel like a lot of sports it's been a trip doing this just seeing how many top level athletes just fucking froth the moto guys.
2: Dude, it's just I think it's just so rad. There's so much crossover in all sports, but for us that you can't scrub a mountain bike as good. No matter how much you try, we don't have the weight, the throttle, the anything. Like and we want to be able to scrub because it's a sick feeling, but a scrub on a motorbike is better. There's no questions. A whip on a motorbike is better. So I think we're always gonna just be like fans of it and love it. And like even a turn, like you can turn a mountain bike pretty good, but like you can't hit a soft turn on a mountain bike and carry speed because we don't have power. You hit a soft turn on a moto, and you drag your bar, and you come out, dude. Like, yeah, mountain biking's sick, but that feels pretty insane on a motocross bike. Or even, like, a big whip. Like, I can't whip one huge, but I can go sideways enough, and it feels unreal on a motocross bike.
1: Yeah, well, you can throw some pretty decent moto whips. I'll give you that. Yeah, I'll maybe in photos they look all right. I think i I cheat their bit there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you, you ride... Do you, did you do much racing at all? Like if, when you sort of from 2015 like, on? I raced the pit bike. I
2: raced the Chinese one I had at these Enduros. It was like a mini bike pit bike Enduro series. And then my friends did like Hare and Hounds races here. So I did TR on those. And then I got that 2015 bike and I did I did a Hare and Hounds race on it, which my chain and sprockets were out. Like the OG, it was like a three hour race and they ran out. Like, 30 minutes from the end, like the rear sprocket rounded off because the sand was so wet. And then I did, oh, what did I do? I did one race on it, I think. It was this one called Canada Heights in the UK. So I did one race there. And then the year, like a few years later, I did, what else have I raced? Dude, I've done like next to nothing. I raced some like flat track thing in Boise in the States on like a borrowed 250. Just an indoor like thing. And then I race. There's these things called SMX. here. They're real local, dude. It's like they have a bungee across the start line. Someone lets go of a bungee, and you race. You know. Yeah. And I've done three of those. I think that's all I've ever raced. No, I've raced that like four or five times, like on a motocross bike. Like literally, literally never, dude. Like terrible. And then but I so can ride, like, if you go to a practice track, I can ride. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can,
1: can. Yeah, you can ride good. I've watched a bunch of your shit. You definitely can ride good. And then, so what the fuck made you think you could actually race a one? I
2: didn't think I could race a one. I thought I could maybe get on the track. <laughs> very, <laughs> very different things. Getting on a one track is different to racing it. And I don't know, dude, just overconfident. I'm my biggest problem with some things is being overconfident. Probably thinking like, yeah, I could do that. Like, doesn't that hard? And like, I could jump a motocross bike pretty big. By the time I made that bet, like, I could whip one over a ninety foot table. You know, that's like big jump to go sideways on on a 250f or whatever wide open so just way too much confidence i guess and just thought it'd be funny like a bet to make i was like i got years dude i'll just practice every winter and then each winter i'd have a better plan of doing something else or something but i don't know why i thought i I just thought i could i think was that the year i feel like we rode a, a super a super cross track in france maybe or was that the year after? And it was, like, I got round it pretty good, but it was so spaced out in hindsight, you know, and so easy. Yeah. But, like, it looked at the time like a Supercross track. So, I was like, well, I got this. Like, I got three years to work on this. But so, then, was that the bet that... Three years real fast.
1: So, was the bet that in three years you'd be able to, like, qualify for A1 or, like, go and make the night? Yeah, it was,
2: everybody. like, by... It was by 2020. So, we made the bet in either 2016 or 2017. It was, like,
1: yeah, by...
2: 2020 A1, like I will try and make the night show. It was like, I had to turn up for practice, I think, or make the night show. I can't remember exactly. I could get the video up, whether it was make the night show or whatever it was. But, and to now, like if I'd trained as much as I was supposed to, if I'd trained the winter before like I was supposed to, which I didn't do, and if I'd started earlier and we hadn't had, we had like our wettest autumn in 20 years Mm. last year when I tried to do it. So we started two weeks late because we had some issues with the track. Then it rained, so I rode seven days Supercross in the UK before I went to America. With hoping to be about like 20 days in, 25 days in, going to America. And when I got there, I was like, right, I'll get at least another 20 days in. And by the time A1 rolled around, I'd done 18 days on the Supercross track ever. Like, it was just everything went wrong that could have gone wrong. And we started, honestly, we started maybe a month late, and then everything went wrong. But if I'd started when I was supposed to start with the track and... I had it do- Oh, that was it. I was supposed to start the winter before, and I had to crash in my 500 track and like hit my head pretty hard. And then that winter just blew. But after that, I think my friend's Supercross track got shut down or something happened. So I missed the 2018, 2019 winter. So yeah, I started the next one. And we were just so, so short on time that we had to fly to Atlanta to get the kid that was helping me, Jordan Booker. His bike was at Millsap's house, like the training facility, because he went out there to try and race Supercross the year before because he's actually good at riding a motorbike and could actually race Supercross. We had to like, go to Atlanta to get that. Then we got stuck there because um, – what's Millsap's mom's name? Colleen. No, she Colleen. She couldn't come meet us because – Colleen. She couldn't come meet us because of Thanksgiving. So we got stuck in Atlanta for five or four days. We weren't supposed to be there for four days. We were supposed to get the bike and go. And we were, already, we were a week late getting to Atlanta, so now we're like two more weeks behind. Then we got to California and it rained straight for a week. So did you drive then, to California from Atlanta? Yeah, dude, because we had to pick up his bike and shit. And I'm like, this kid's helped me with a supercross track in the UK. He's helping me with a lot of shit out here. I don't know what we're doing. He's got a van in California. So we rented a van to get across, but he's got a van there. Like, I need his help. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And um, honestly, we got to California two and a half, three weeks late. Then it rained for a week, so we lost another week. And then... We started riding. We didn't issue. I can't remember what we had an issue with. Started riding. Then I had a huge crash on a triple. So I couldn't ride for like four days, five days. And then so like everything went wrong that could have. And I don't know. I got round the tracks. Like I could make it round Pro Circuit, uh, Glen Helen. I could make it around the other ones. Like we tried to make the videos look worse than I was because we thought it was funnier. Yeah. Like for people watching at home, we'd like film all my worst bits. And normally. We'd video for like the vlogs for like the first like half a day or third three quarters day and then at the end we'd always shoot photos just so i could have them for instagram so no one ever saw my best writing which wasn't great by any means but we always thought it'd be funny to make them bad but yeah i don't know i feel like if we'd had the three or four months i wanted to have going into it and i'd really put more time or whatever in cal if i'd gone to california in september i think we'd have been okay not saying i would have qualified but I know, I'd have been okay, but I would have made it around the track like I walked A1 like when we were there and I would have got around the track like I could have hit all the jumps, I could have gone through the whoops. I'm not saying it'd be pretty, but I could have done it. So even that, I guess like, don't know, pretty stoked to me. It's gnarly, dude. So, you know, it's so gnarly. Well, man, honestly,
1: honestly, I was watching your videos that you're posting from the riding and like you actually would, doing pretty fucking good really
2: yeah it was night. we were saying like i would sometimes like go into the track of like oh i hope we get stuck in traffic today like if we get stuck in traffic i don't have to get the track for longer <laughs> like dude it was it was not the first day we rode in california on the track it was the kawasaki like k3 test track like we're there mcgrath like comes to meet me he's like yeah i'll go up there with you like nicest dude ever he's like we'll go up there with you and um let like, introduce you to everyone and we'll like get you out on track roll up, and he's like, oh, I've got to shoot a specialized thing just while I'm here, like, don't worry about it, like, I'll just do it in the background. I'm like, okay, cool. So then Villapoto turns up, and then uh, who else was there? Bogle and Baggett, maybe. Uh, So then we got someone else was there, Villapoto and Jeremy. I'm just kind of stood there looking at this gnarliest track I've ever seen, dude. And then Jeremy's like, okay, like, just suit up and, like, go roll around and have a look at it. I'm like, what do you, like, Villa Poto and literally McGrath has stood five feet from the track and like I've never ridden a hard packed dry supercross track in my life. Like yeah, just start rolling around. Here's my bike. Like go see what you can. I'm like it was honestly so gnarly. So <laughs> yeah, it was a sick experience, dude. But it was gnarly out the gate to try and learn and like hit the jumps. Like the triple on that track wasn't too big, but the finish line jump was massive. Mm-hmm. Like wide open in second out of the turn pretty much on a 450. Whereas the finish line jump there is like half throttle on a 450 in second so it was not i don't even know if i hit it that no i did hit it at the end of the day but hit jeremy had left because i was like shit i wanted like i hit the triple and everything but like followed someone in like alex ray i think it was there and jordan like my mate helped me over it but it's so gnarly i said like if you're stood above a track even if you're 10 foot above on a bank and you look at the track you're like oh the track looks pretty good you go down onto the track just 10 feet lower than where you were Yeah, everything is so gnarly, like so gnarly. Like I could make it round in the end, but it was it was gnarly. The last, probably the last day before A one, we were at Glen Helen, and I could do like I could piece good laps together. I think my lap times were like six seconds. Faulkner's round the Glen Helen one. Yeah, right. But it was a short lap. Like I was pretty. I think I was we timed me. I was six and a half seconds off but that was probably second to last day there. So maybe I was I was way better because I would get massively better each day I rode. Yeah. Six seconds a lap off him around a 45-second track. You know, it's quite a short track. So I wasn't great, but I could make, you know, with like, I don't know, double and triple, but
1: it was a cool experience. So how did you get hooked up with uh, McGrath? Because you were like on his bikes and shit over there as well, right? Yeah,
2: yeah that was just through Maxis. Like we were in Whistler at Crankworks and I'm like, Hey, this is Jeremy. This is Bernard. like, you know, we've been talking to you about Jeremy's like, they filled me in kind of on your bet and dude, I'm on, I'm on board to help if you want it. Like, we'll, we'll see what we can do for you and uh, we'll get some help. I was like, well, are you serious? And then Max just kind of took it from there. Like what a rad sponsor do just from the bikes to them for all these years. They were like, we sponsor him we'll I don't know why he thought he like why he believed me, the nutter, <laughs> but he was like, dude, if you, he's like, you're an idiot, but if you want to try I'm helping you, he's like, I'll lend you when you get here and he was unreal dude he like lent me i guess he's got he had two 450s maybe there he lent me one of his 450s and then he like phoned pro circuit got them to do suspension like i had like a factory shock that you can't even buy what and then the forks were just looked standard but they had an a kit in but like he phoned up he drove down there to pro circuit for me drove it back to his workshop to like hand it to me like the nicest guy going out of his way and drove out to the track three times to meet me. Like, I think it was like two hours each way from his house or an hour and a half each way. Yeah, yeah, he so lives like, nowhere. For today. nothing, just out of his time, dude. Dude, out just so much time out of his day to like, be like, yeah, let's see if this guy, maybe he thought it was funny, I don't know. But he was just so nice and just so on board for helping. And was like, yeah, dude, I'll help you do it. So it was all through Maxis, like, a guy called Chris Meyer and like uh, Aaron Chamberlain and Duncan at Maxis really just all helped it. Helped you go along, like rad, honestly such a rad sponsor with like sorting the bike out, sending loads of tires out to the UK, sending tires there, being like, what do you need? They sent, that we had to turn around, they were sending a full semi down there, Anaheim for me to pit out of. What? Which was rad. Yeah, like I was gonna have like a full pit, which was gonna be so cool. But um, yeah, we never made it there, but it was rad. I feel like if we had four months to go and train, I could do it, like, not saying I would qualify, but I can get around a track fine. we're starting from a much better point now
1: (laughs) yeah so so what was the in the end was there something about like the licensing because i thought from from the outside i was like oh this is a g up like because he i don't know how you can just rock up and race like i i feel like you need to have like actual supercross endorsed licensing you know what i mean because like even if you're austin faulkner you can't just go and race supercross like you've got to do the arena cross series x amount of points so like what was your thinking about like the fact that you could even rock up and race
2: if you're an international rider you can just rock up and race if you have an FIM license really the country gives you an FIM license otherwise if you're from france how do you go over there and just race, race the year before or whatever you technically there is a loophole you basically i don't know the exact wording i can just race. sure i called they called the acu here i checked dude i spent 30 or 40 grand probably in dollars doing this like i didn't go over there just thinking i could race like i did so many hours of research researching this i did emails i had phone calls i was like are you sure i could this start in april maybe i was phoning the acu like are you sure i can race i want this in writing that i can race what license do i need what do i need for this i emailed or well, eddie eva the ama being like what does he need we need to make sure he can do this before we get too far along the line so we made sure i had the licenses i had this i had that but you can't buy your fim license you can't technically pay for it until i don't know if it's the 15th or the 20th of december because that's when the next year's licenses come out you know 2020 licenses yeah so to race in a 2020 series you need a 2020 license but you can't buy it till like the 20th of december in 20, whatever it is so the time i'm licensed i've got emails from the acu They've sent me the forms to go get a medical, so I've gone and got a medical. They've sent me the forms to go do an eye test. I've gone and done an eye test in the UK. This is before I've even gone to America. The ACU has sent me all these forms, sold me a national license, which I've applied for and sent on. And this is with knowing what I'm doing. I've told them I'm racing Supercross. I told them I've never raced before. Like, I've been 100%. I've gotten, I don't want to hide anything dude otherwise why am i spending 30 or 40 grand you know yeah yeah like i'm not an idiot i've made this very clear what i was doing or wanted it for and then before i know it i get an email i can't remember it was from like the head of the ama first or i'm like email being like hey have you got my license application or, or i'm trying to enter online but i've got the uk license so i can't get my entry she's like "Oh, I'll do this do this and then just let me know and you've got it and before i know it the uk the The ACU wouldn't reply. They went quiet. They'd normally reply instantly. And they went quiet for like three days. And then I just get an email being like, hey, we're not going to issue a license. These are the reasons. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I've been talking to you for four months. You know, like, why I want this license. I'm in America now. I told you when I was going to America, I've done my health checks for you that you told me to do. And then the next day, I just get an email from like the head of the ACU, like the top guy. Like, like, he shouldn't even know who I am. And then the same thing the next day. They have the, a- the AMA, like the head of Supercross emails me. I'm like, how is this guy emailing me? He shouldn't be emailing me. And then like the head of AMA, the director of racing, emails me, and it just escalated out of control. Where? Wow. Like all of a sudden, like someone, I think he talked to the head of the ACU, and they told him not to issue me a license. Like no one will admit to this, but they were like, probably like, hey, this guy's never raced. And then I sort of phoned up, and I was like, hey, I'm not racing. I'm gonna go and ride practice. And, like, if I qualify, that means I'm quick enough to race, you know? Like, I've proved myself in qualifying. If I don't, you've let me out there for three practice sessions, what's the harm? Mm. I'm like, you've got Jeremy McGrath that will phone you up, Western Pike, like, I've been riding with them, and they'll tell you I can get around the track. Like, if they thought I was a danger, or if Mitch Payton thought I was a danger to Faulkner and McAdoo riding around his private track, I don't think he would let me out there. Yeah, yeah. You know? But then, yeah, before I know it, they're like, no one's replying to me, dude, and they're trying to use, like, it wasn't Thanksgiving. I can't remember. They are all like away for the weekend and I'm like working through the night trying to talk to the ACU in England and the AMA like on the East coast of America or wherever the hell they're based. And like everyone's ignoring my stuff or not replying. And then I'm like, look, why can't we do this? And then dude, I'm going to have to get a charge. My laptop's going to die. So I've got to finish this story. I've got a funny you. Yeah, no worries. I'm going to have to do a <laughs> quick pause. Right. getting a charge. No
1: worries, brother. <laughs>
2: hundred brushes burning the power.
1: So if he's working out dude, what a hectic story Dude, it was hectic. So
2: basically they're like the ACU now that like, we're not going to issue a license. It's just going to work this charger. So, um, we're there with Jordan, my friend that's helped me with the supercross, and his mate called Graham Irwin. Don't know if you know who he is. Ah. He's like, he was British motocross champion in like 2015. Honestly. Really good motocross rider. His family, he's Irish. He's out in the States training for some Marine across in the UK and uh, his wife lives there and he's like, oh, I'll just, I'll phone up the Irish Federation. We'll get you a license. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, they're family friends of ours. Like we'll just get you a license. So before I know it, he phones them like his family, are like road racing legends. They're like road, like not even like closed circuit, but like Isle of Man style stuff
1: yeah yeah
2: so he phones up this guy there before we know it dude i've got an FIM license from ireland like i i get given a license oh dude because i just moved because you have to live in northern ireland yeah. so i moved to ireland overnight and he gets me this license and um so i sent it into the ama and i'm like Hey you go guys here's my FIM license da, da, da. and they're like no we can't they wouldn't reply again if this is like two more days because this is going on now for like, a week or two it's, like two weeks maybe i'm stressing over this I'm still driving out to supercross tracks every day. Like, am I even training for pointlessly? And, um, yeah, I send it into them and they ignore me again. And I phone up and then I fo- I'm just phoning the AMA all morning, like every day and they're like, oh, we'll phone you back. And then the head of supercross, Mike Pelletier is not phoning him, speaking to someone else. And eventually like, yeah, we, we said you, cause he said on the phone. He's like, if you have an FI, I will give you an entry because that's their rule. All you need is an FIM license. But if you're from the USA, you have to have an AMA license with Supercross points. That's the difference. But he said that on the phone, not in writing. So then I'm like, hey, dude, I sent you an FIM license. Why why won't you let me race? And then he's like ignoring me. He's like, right, can you come to the trailer on Thursday at Anaheim? So I had to like go to the stadium on Thursday after the Glen track. And then I like, they wouldn't allow us dude. it. It was weird. And then I go in, it's like Mike Pelletier, someone else from the AMA. And we've got like the head of the AMA director of racing on the phone, like at the office, like at a conference call. Yeah. And they're just coming up with excuse after excuse after. Excuse. They were like, you can't do it because you haven't have done this. I'm like, oh, yeah, but this is here. Okay, you can't do it because this. I'm like, well, which reason is it that you need to give me that's going to stick here? So they just kept coming up with loads of different excuses why I couldn't do it. And not one of them really matched the excuse they come up with two minutes before. Each one of their own ones out. And it was weird. They're saying, no you can't so it was the FIM that stopped me in the end not the AMA because I don't think the AMA almost had authority to because I matched all their criteria like I had an FIM license I bought one and got issued an FIM license to compete in it so they just basically stopped me and then I know there was a meeting at the FIM in February about it like really it was like scheduled a meeting about what happened yeah because like I get I was exploiting a loophole for sure I was but I checked the loophole and it's not, it's like a loophole to help international riders. Hopefully I haven't screwed anyone over for the future, but I knew what I was doing and this was the license and I got it. And then, yeah, super weird. They were like, they're one of the main reasons was you've never been in motorcycle competition. I was like, well, I have. And they're like, I'm like, it's timed racing. It's a qualifying session. That's what I get paid to do on yeah. biking. Yeah. And they said, yeah, but when everyone goes into that first turn, it's a race or, I don't even oh. race, you've never been that so we can't, we can't let you do whatever and we watched when we watched it the right like the f- first lap they made three turns before three dudes took each other out in practice and okay that could have been me but i was no worse than anyone in c practice you know <laughs> like i would have made it round but it was just shit because it could have fought that like, i couldn't do it and i wouldn't have spent 30 grand
1: yeah fuck, dude it's so it's so gnarly man like but you're pretty sick that you committed to doing it and actually like you gave it a pretty <laughs> solid track, man. Dude, yeah, it was
2: it was rad. Like the only thing that stuck was crashing on the triple. Like that was so annoying. Like we'd shot mountain bikes all morning with flying and then I'd gone out to the track. I'd hit it first lap. Yeah, I like, rode around the track, hit it first lap fine. Like I'd hit it before as well. It was my second or third time at the track. And the next lap round, I don't know why I did. I just went too slow. I was a little bit twisted, just too slow. And I cased it and just got ejected. Oh. Like had suck Like knocked myself out. Like I remember everything, but I got knocked out. Like twisted the subframe, smashed the exhaust, like smashed all the levers. Like like wake up, Brock Tickle was there, It's like a dude, dudes I've looked up to. You know, like dude, you all right? What's going on? And that was kind of sucked, and I was I was super embarrassed about that. But otherwise, it was. It was pretty cool. It wasn't a holiday, that's for sure. It was not even close to a holiday, because you don't realize with moto as well. Like, we drive so much the tracks, you drive yeah. out, you drive home, you wash the bike. Now we got to do an air filter. Now we got to do an oil change. Dude, we wouldn't have time to do anything else. Like, I'm so impressed with those moto guys, dude. Unless you have a mechanic, like I don't know how they do it. We had barely time. Like, we'd ride mountain bike some days, but if I went back, I'd like to just ride motocross in California. We rode three days on a track, maybe yeah, for like six weeks or five weeks. We rode three days on motocross tracks, like barely at all. And like two of the three were on supercross suspension because we couldn't be able to change it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it'd be right to go make more of a holiday of it and actually ride the motocross tracks out there. It looked pretty fun, but it was so cool with McGrath and everyone like got to meet so many cool people. We were on the carry track one day and like, anderson came over with i can't remember because they're on the track next door now like the ktm husky track yeah. at where they all are and they're like oh this was our track last year so he like rolled around and just hit everything first lap like chad does some shit and that for me like i'm a super fan dude that was so cool i'm like trying to play it cool like yeah this is nothing and that was rad and then western pike dude honestly such a nice helpful guy like people think he's this gnarly like tattoo like be up freezy, bit. but he was so like not shy to start i don't want to say shy. just such a helpful guy just like quiet gentle and then just like real funny dude like he couldn't have been more helpful and like he had this school up in the desert he was running to help kids that were trying to qualify for futures and super cross things and yeah he, like, not bully me to come out you better come up here i'm gonna help you like come out you. so like he was awesome so yeah the experience itself like you can't have paid for it dude i'm so so lucky that i'm good enough at one sport that man and, fly racing because they're who hooked me up with Weston, it all happened so it was unreal that like, when you look back at it but i just had ended slightly different even if i'd come last i just wanted to ride in the stadium you know it would have been awesome
1: yeah dude that would have been such a crazy crazy experience and yeah like to do what you did man is just so gnarly like it's it's impressive just to <laughs> like fuck the balls that it takes to go and like have you know mcgrath giving you a bike and like you know being on these tracks with these guys like dude i fucking hats off to you because that is some intimidating <laughs> shit
2: yeah it's gnarly i know like the pro circuit the first hour of the pro circuit track i didn't go through the whoops because they're just they're so big they're like the cowie ones were a lot lot easier but the pro circuit ones are gnarly i'm weston he had his eye injury and he hadn't ridden for a while and he didn't ride through them the first day we were there, so that made me feel a lot better. But dude, it's gnarly. You got these two guys, like Faulkner and Mackadoo and Marchbank, stood up on the bank when you're rolling out. You're like, I know they're watching. You've got to forget yeah. about it. But it is, it's so gnarly, dude. It was rad. Every time I go out and come back in, I'm like, I've done a few more laps, like feeling good about myself. But yeah, it was not relaxing. <laughs> but,
1: uh,. The, um, what you said so right about the, uh, like a privateer trying to race Supercross. Like there's a, a young Aussie dude, uh, Duran Stapleton over there and like, man, yeah he's been over there just doing the privateer thing. And like, he's, he's got through to a bunch of mains and it's just like, people have no idea how hard it is to sit on that 91 freeway and sit on the 15 and the traffic and then it's traffic both ways, and then you got to wash your bike, and then you got to fucking try and recover, and then you got to try and get good food, get sleep, do it all again tomorrow. Like, it is a grind, dude. Dude, a
2: grind. It's dusty, it's dry, it's windy so much. Windy and cold. Food anywhere, dude. Windy and cold. Trying to get good food. It's darker. Like we'd be jet washing half the time at night, the bike, and just anything. And then we're trying to like do vlogs. I still had to run the bike team, so like I'd be like slacking a bit like shit, dude. I gotta do some bike orders or I gotta send some emails like on the way to the track, I'd sit in the van, like Barney, my mechanic, bike mechanic, who's in the vlogs, him and Jordan would drive a lot and my little brother They would drive to the track a lot so I could sit in the van and do emails on the way there and back. But it was dude, it's full on. Like I mad respect to all the pros that race supercross and all the privateers. Like the hustle they do, dude, even at the top level driving the tracks and back even then eating then training then right is dude it is impressive super impressive
1: yeah well i mean that's why guys like uh i had cole Sealy on the podcast last week and he said that for five months in florida he'd spend 150 grand
2: i believe it dude you'd have to as well if you want to be serious like at his like he's at the sharp end of the field you know and if he doesn't want to drive through fucking two hours of traffic each way to the track and yeah. crap dirt and then all this other shit, you know, like you'd have, to, I can see it, dude. Like, honestly, I spent 30 or probably 30,000 US dollars in what, two, three months, you know, like, and I'm not nearly at his level and I don't need the facility and all the things like I can easily see how he spent that. Like, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, you're just like paying for convenience at that point, you know?
2: Yeah. hundred percent like it, but he'd have to, or he'd never get any gym work done. That like, yeah. we used the gym at the beginning when we got there, we used it twice. We literally didn't have time to go there. If I wanted to ride my mountain bike too, still do like a couple of in content on that a week because my mountain bike sponsors didn't hate me, and then ride super cross. We didn't have time to go to the gym, like not once because we were driving too much.
1: Like mm.
2: crazy, dude. Like, so much respect for those guys. Honestly, the most humbling thing I've done in my life ever. Like, so humbled. Like, I'm a squid dude, like out here, it's gnarly
1: uh how was your fitness like on supercross was it did you find that like the mountain bike fitness kind of translated in any way or
2: dude i was kind of too bad at supercross like, i couldn't get tired like i couldn't link enough laps together t- very well yeah that i would ever get tired i remember getting tired once at glen helen literally once ever where i linked probably five laps together and didn't breathe, and i was like well i'm tired but honestly normally i'd just be like working on check- I was always trying to learn to be better, that I would like hit the rhythm lane, turn and do the whoops, then turn around, hit the rhythm lane, do the whoops, turn around, hit the, so I'd never really get tired. I would rarely do laps. Like my, never my worry was to do laps. It was like, learn the triple real good out of the turn. Like we'd always be working on something. Like it was only the last couple of times and maybe that one time where I ever really linked enough laps around to be like, oof, or once Weston was following me. Like when we first got there, actually Weston was like, right, you've got to do two laps without stopping and I'm going to follow you. And he'd be like on my tire, dude, just like, and he'd be like revving the bike in turns and it was so cool. Like Someone from Transworld came to film it and I still haven't got the videos from it. I really want to see it. Like it was my worst day, my first day. So it'd be my worst day riding at Glen Helen. But dude, I got Weston Pike behind me. That's like so rad to me. Like don't want to say that. Cause like, no, now, <laughs> but it was yeah. so sick. But I remember then I was not breathing, dude, like at all. Like, I don't even remember where I breathed on the track. So I was like, (sighs) after two or three laps. But yeah, I was too bad. Like my fitness was so much higher than my skill level. Yeah. Like it was, I don't know. I'd get pumped up now, but only because I'm gripping on so tight. Not because I'm going quick. So (laughs) as soon as like I started got better, like, I don't know. It never became an issue because I was too bad.
1: (laughs) And how much like when you just went back to normal moto riding and then just going riding with the boys at your local tracks back in the uk like how much better at motocross were you because of that experience funny thing is we've had time to ride this year so
2: i got home from that home 10 days i think and i had to fly to new zealand so i got home didn't ride flew to new zealand next time i rode was like matt walker my friends three no he got a ktm i rode a farm bike in new zealand dude an xt350 from like 1996 so i hacked around on that all summer in new zealand and then he had a ktm 450 i rode that in the summer like the six weeks i was there but so much more confident better dude they're like there's these two doubles there they've got the worst condition like sandy lips and i'd start like 10 foot from them and seat bounce like a 40 foot double dude i would just Get real good at hitting the throttle hard. My worst thing at Supercross was I'd be like rrrr, whereas they land they go ruh, land ruh. So yeah. I was real bad at that. So I got way better. Like even in New Zealand, I'd come out of these doubles, dude, and i just be, like playing on his bike. I'm in a t-shirt and boots, and like both brake lever and clutch lever snapped. It's not like a dial bike, but I could just roll into a jump and just hit the throttle seat effect like so easy. And then what did we do when we got home from there? I don't think we rode because we got home and then COVID hit a week later. So I didn't ride across again for, dude, months. I've, from California to now, I've probably ridden a track six times because of COVID. Like all the stuff here has been shut up. Yeah. So it's been weird. But every time I've gone out, yeah, like I feel like a hero now compared to how I did, like I'll roll around a track once. And then be like, okay, that jump's massive. I'll just hit it next lap. Or we did go to Tommy Searles, got a track at his friend's. We went there. Oh, the one the at Eddie's? Lockdown, so I think. At Eddie's, yeah. So yeah. I went there in May. And one of the jumps there, dude, is big, like yeah. massive. Like it's, it's like wide open on a 125, as fast as you can go. And I had ridden that 125. I had ridden it. Or was that the first day I rode it? I think I'd ridden it up and down the driveway. Maybe the first day I ever rode it, actually. And I hit that jump, like, third or fourth lap, like, pretty quick. Yeah. And I never would have done that before, dude. That's, like, a, it looks like a table, but if you case it, you die. Yeah. And, yeah, I, like, hit everything there in a few laps. And I never would have done that before. That's, like, Tommy makes that track look easy, but that's probably one of the harder tracks in the UK. You know, it's private and all the jumps, you can't case them. They're, like, pretty bad cases. Yeah. So, yeah, it's made, it's made tracks now pretty, like, yeah, I go anywhere and I can just kind of roll around and hit jumps, even though I haven't ridden many times. Like, yeah, I don't really worry too much now compared to a supercross track. Yeah, it's that's pretty funny.
1: You just that's what you sick. want. <laughs> yeah, that's sick that that's actually, you know, it made the your riding, like, feel so much more confident. Like, I knew, or I had that same sort of experience with, uh, we rode from Cairns to the tip of Australia and back, and I just borrowed a, a mate's sick. 450, so I rode an unregistered 450 for... It was like 4,000 days or whatever. <laughs> but we were... It took 10 days. And, like, there was times where, you know, you'd do literally a whole tank of fuel with the throttle wide open in fifth gear. But you no just, way. And I'd never done that shit. And, like, by, you know, by three, four days in... I just felt like I could do anything on the bike, like even dumb shit, like you'd get in a trail and then you sort of, it's like, oh, dead end there and you just go rot and you just sort of spin around, you you know, you could like kind really, of, yeah. just like the most random skill based kind of shit just became so much easier. And then I went to, uh, Townley's place and did the BT's tour, which dude, you have to fucking do that. Like, you've got to go do the the tour with BT. I want to go... I actually want to get that happening when, when we can all go to New Zealand and do, like, me, you, dude. Ed, Win, Brooke. Like, just get all the fucking boys. But, um... the would be unreal. Dude, it'd be, like, the tracks are bullshit and BT's the fucking biggest lord ever. But, um... <laughs> but, yeah, like, I went straight from that Cape York trip and I hadn't really been riding that much motocross. Like, I sort of sort of didn't ride that much over the last few years. And then I went to BTs and I was just like, holy fuck, this is the best I've ever rode a bike. And I think it was just because I spent 10 days on the bike and you just get so used to riding essentially.
2: Yeah, it's exactly. It. And I guess, same with me Even didn't ride lows. it's just being comfy and jumps, like loosening your grip in the air because you know now like, oh, I'm good on that. Or like going to flat, dude, I'll go to flat on anything now whereas before I'd be a bit scared. But I'm like, Ah, whatever, you just, yeah, it's rad, you just get used to it, so, yeah, I know it's a cool feeling for sure, when you come off a trip or something, you're like, shit, I'm better at that now, that's rad, like, I didn't even realize that, it's, at least you achieved something out of it, I guess.
1: <laughs> Man, it's cool too, Ed and, uh, Ed and Tommy lived in Murrieta together, like, when I first moved there so like i didn't have like no that, way yeah that many that many friends so i used to hang around those boys quite a lot hey eh? they're fucking dude i love ed he is a lord dude those two are funny i've only met
2: him once but i've known tommy like a little bit for a couple years now oh year, yeah he doesn't remember when i was a kid when i rode motorbikes when i was four years old I, my brother was in tommy's class at school like tommy oh, doesn't really remember it but like we went to like his fourth or fifth birthday party at his house dude I remember his brother threw a pool ball at a pool or a snooker table through the window at his house. <laughs> like kids. I, rem- I don't remember much as my childhood. I remember that of his brother threw a pool ball through their house window and the parents went mental and they had this little PW50 track there and it was sick. But I haven't seen him much. I don't know him much now. But well, I'd kind of start to again now. I met him when I was trying the Supercross thing at Jordan's Track in Bristol. And then, yeah, him and Eddie are cool. They just invited us up for the day to ride. And, that was sick, like gnarly track, but sick. So yeah, good bunch.
1: Yeah, that, that track is no joke. I've never been to it, but I've seen like a ton of videos and stuff there. And uh, yeah, that's like a fucking pretty, pretty legit moto track.
2: Yeah, I just got my 450 working again this week. And hopefully if I lock down in next week, I really want to go back up there and ride it on like a normal 450, not like a old 05 125 that doesn't run the best. for a bit, yes. bit easier
1: as well. <laughs> yeah, so you've got a couple of, You've got a couple pretty cool motos. Um, so you got like that CR five hundred and then you got the the James Stewart replica one two five. So when did that moto collection sort of start to happen? Uh the was
2: two years ago now, two or three? Three years ago. I always wanted a five hundred dude. I don't know why, I just thought they were so sick. Like when I didn't have a motocross bike, like six, seven years ago, I won a five hundred on the eBay, a KX five hundred, like I won it on eBay. I was what? that little dick that didn't go and buy it, because oh, I was scared. So yeah. I was like, I didn't have a motor bike at the time, but wanted one. And I always thought 500s were sick and like almost went to buy it. And my brother was like, no, nah, I think it's a balladay. You're not going to ride it. But so I've always wanted one. I always thought they were so cool. Like I always liked two strokes. And then that one I bought came up on eBay for like five grand or whatever, whatever, which is a good price because it came mint, dude. Like someone had got it from the States, brought it in here and like made it good. Should I get it? Should I not? Should I get it? And I'd had did I just get my first podium? Nah. Or a podium or something. Like I'd made some prize money or something. I was like, did I really want it? It's only gonna go if I can't afford it by the end of the year and I have to sell it I don't have enough money, it's going up in value or it's staying the same. It's safe money, you know? Yeah. Real safe money. I was like, fuck it, I'm getting it. So I got that and just dude, I love that thing. I was like, I might only ride it once a month. I ride that thing loads. I fucking love it, dude. It's really it's naughty, but yeah, I like love that bike. Like I've taken it this track in Italy I go to and just ridden it. I went this one time last year and I had that in my 450. I was like, right, I'm just going to start the 500. Then I'll ride my 450 for the rest of the day. Like, It'll just be fun. I rode the 500 all day. Didn't even get my 450 out that day. And then like the next day I was there, I rode the 450. Like, I love it, dude. And then always wanted like, I've wanted a 125 for ages because they're like a fun bike. And then at the beginning of this lockdown, as it was happening, we saw that on Facebook Marketplace. And it was 1,600 pounds for a KX125 and like it had the shittest plastics and wheels and tires and like grips and graphics but i could see like the frame was real good the motor looked real good and i so i bought that for 16 or 16.50 and i'm super lucky with fly and like wps they give us like well they give me loads of parts if i need it they'll be like i don't know i'm like hey guys can i get like a new head or can i get some plastics or whatever like hook me up because i don't know hopefully they i guess they do
1: appreciate what we
2: do for them and so so they what's send about? stuff the, what's, out. So they,
1: what's WPS though?
2: WPS, that's Western Power Sports. They're a distribution oh, company. Oh, yeah. Okay. They sell Max's tires to shops. They sell the Chervis plastics to shops and everything. So, so they have they, every hard part you could imagine.
1: Are they a like a US company or like a global company?
2: No, US. Western yeah. Power Sports is like in Boise, Idaho. So they sponsor the Supercross series now. You'll see it says WPS and Fly Racing. So Fly Racing is WPS's own in-house gear brand. That's all Fly Racing is,
1: Ah. essentially. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's like, dude, why are we selling everyone else's gear? Why don't we make our own sick gear? He made Fly Racing. So they're just a distributor. They're literally just a distributor, but they do all the sickest parts and bits. So i can like, hey, can I get some V-Force read valves? Can I get this? Can I get some new rims for Modus? They sent me all this cool stuff for that KX125, which didn't cost me. So then I spent like Two months in lockdown, like building wheels and like making it cool. So, yeah, I got four fifty that I bought the Cowie for the A one thing. Like I literally just bought because uh, I had a Honda, but when I found out Jeremy was going to lend me a bike, I was like, I may as well buy a Cowie. So I'm mm. on the same bike. Sold the Honda, got the Cowie, and yeah, I've got a five hundred. A ninety. My five hundred. My five hundred is a 1996, and the one twenty five is a 2005. So both really sick bikes and like then i like my brothers ride boris my older brother's got a bike now but my little brother like rides sometimes so it's pretty cool like i'm in a lucky enough position now. i can afford to have a few of them so it's bad yeah. like if eddie and matt come over they'll come out to the track and then they've got a bike to ride or like win didn't have a bike when he first got to the uk so he borrowed mine for a few weeks so it's sick having them like someone's always going to ride them if i offer like yeah. but, hey guys i'm going out today ron either comes with me or we have a bigger crew, dude. Like, if I can afford it, maxis are going to give me a couple tires for it, Remy 10 and Sprockets. Like, I'm lucky enough that I'm like, hey, does anyone else want to come along to then ride one of my bikes? Because then maybe I'll ride it as well, so I get the choice of two, and then someone else gets to ride it. So, yeah, it's pretty cool having a few bikes now.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the setup that I'm running at the moment, or, like, sort of trying to run. Like, I got my old Honda 450, and, like, my housemate, he used to ride when he was younger, and, like, he's, like, a fucking sick surfer. But, uh, like I've had him come out to the track with me and like a couple of guys that do some filming and stuff that don't have bikes. So I'm actually, I got my 350. I got the, the Yamaha 250. No one's going to ride that. That'll only be me <laughs> riding that thing when that thing <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, like I'm sort of trying to do that same thing. Cause yeah, I just, I just want people to fucking froth on riding, you know, and I've got so much spare gear and shit nowadays as well, but it's cool when yeah. you can kind of have, like that's, I guess kind of what I was saying before too, you know, like. To have a sick garage and a few bikes so that all the fucking homies can can get out and actually have a ride with you it's pretty sick
2: and hopefully then like, it's way more fun riding with your mate or more mates than also. it's pretty sick and the 500 especially whenever i take that out like i don't force people right to ride it but almost i'm like right one you never go it. i promise it's not as bad as you think or i promise you'll enjoy and then win almost crashed it huge the other day in italy he like i don't know how he didn't loop the thing out a jump oh, like, no like he was just in a gear too easy like just chopped a bit of throttle up the lip i swear to god he was vert so on like a good like probably a 40-foot table 50-foot table i don't know how he didn't crash and it would have been massive but he said he was enjoying it until then and then like a load of the mountain bike guys have had a go on it so it's such a cool bike to ride and so rewarding i love love having the fire especially this is a big crew because everyone will take it for a lap yeah and it's like oh that's the 500 you know I like you're the guy with the 500 in the pit
1: so it's pretty cool dude win actually rides pretty good eh?
2: yeah he's got a funky style i'm gonna make fun of his style he looks like a seagull but he holds <laughs> some good speed but like, he's good at turning like jumps aren't his thing but he's good at, he'll hold a good speed around a turn at real good speed so no he's pretty funny he needs to work on his style a bit but he can hold some good speed And he's good in the woods like trail riding he's real good at
1: yeah right yeah I've only ever rode moto with him we um it was pretty sick actually like uh this was what this is probably one of like the cooler things about the podcast pretty much is that now whenever I go somewhere there's somebody anywhere in the world that listens to the podcast that rides essentially and so we went to I was at um I went to farm jam this year and uh so we stayed yeah. in queenstown at the red bull house and then as soon as we sort of posted that we were there i had people messaging me saying like come and ride come and ride and then this one guy he had like i've said told the story before but he had like this dodgy fucking instagram handle and i was like i don't know man <laughs> and uh <laughs> and that he was on private so like i couldn't suss him out and then uh he was like we got the dopest grass track you got to come ride you got to come ride and now uh, he's like, I got this bike for you and blah blah blah. I didn't have any gear and I was like, ah, uh, fuck, nah. I-, I think I'll just give it a miss. And then Wynn hits me up and Wynn's like, dude, you gotta come ride, it's gonna be sick. And then I guess Wynne vouching for it made me be like, all right, fuck yeah, I'll go ride. And um, I believe it, yeah. Anyway, like I I got I borrowed some gear and I, I ended up borrowing a helmet off Wynne because I didn't want to run one of Berriman's Red Bull helmets and um and yeah just put on put on all baron's gear and me and win went out and fucking just motoed all afternoon it was like nine o'clock at night when we finished riding and man just had like the sickest time eh? he's just he's such a good good dude but to be able to like you know go anywhere in the world now and like pretty much have people offer you bikes and tracks is like the sickest fucking byproduct of the podcast dude
2: that's unreal it's such a that's so sick for podcast. that I think with social media, it probably helps with that. Like you say, you reached out yeah. to Instagram. I know people hate on social media, but for things like that, dude, it's so, like, my favorite track, I'm crazy because I always go to this one, but I saw about that on Instagram. I just saw it on the explore page one day and now you learn about it. So I think it's rad. And yeah, like you say, meeting all these cool people through it, it's so sick. And especially with Wynn, dude, he's such a frother. It's so good. He's Win's always up for doing something sick. And I probably have met so many people and know cool things or like, Met a grass track in New Zealand or whatever it is through yeah. Win. I like yeah. These little random things is so funny that you'll do because of him. So, no, it's sick. Yeah, it's so and good. and like
1: the the guy, um, shout out to Fluff. Like he's actually the biggest Lord ever, and you know like he'll message me on Instagram all the time. So, but I I definitely <laughs> don't have that negative social media thing. Like I um I don't really scroll a lot on Instagram, but um I try, especially actually uh, I. When I had Eddie on the podcast, we started talking about how a Win replies to every single DM, and then I was like, "Dude, <laughs> hey, but you know what? It's the fucking move because if people want to take the time to message you, you should, you know, you should try and write it back." It is so Brad,
2: uh, Take you a minute.
1: I after yeah, after I had that podcast with uh, with Eddie, I went and uh, I didn't clear him, but I got like quite a ways through him. and uh, but yeah, I mean it's a the, the whole social media thing man like if you want to use it for a fucking for good it can be a super good thing
2: yeah dude if you it's like anything that if you look at something in a positive light you can make it positive you look at it in a negative way, it's gonna be bad so but i'm a big fan of it in a good way i think and you can get super creative on it so i think it's rad but yeah wind does some funny shit dude he got into an argument i'm gonna call him out with some guys So, not an argument. some guys like making fun of him i was like when you're biting to this guy <laughs> what we're doing in london the other day we did a photo shoot yesterday he's like this guy's telling me to do this i don't know why he's telling me this i'm like because he's winding you up <laughs> but it was funny but i think when general, he uses it in such a good way and i think inspiring people is rad like he makes so many kids want to go out and do wheelies so i think it's a rad thing
1: yeah dude um what's the what's your sort of future gonna be with like youtube and content and stuff like that like do you sort of like do you look at all of that sort of stuff as like a like a separate sort of platforms that you got to try and master or and you like each year you try and step up each of those things individually or sort of like where are you at with with that side of things
2: uh i guess instagram i don't know i just literally everything i do on instagram i like doing or like i want to get more creative or want to do something sick or like i care too much probably about some things like i'll do a whip and I'll have like a three whip clips that they I've filmed. And I will like analyze it to the millimeter of which whip's better. I'm like, dude, no one even knows. It's yeah. on their phone. Probably going to scroll past it. And like they haven't seen the three whips. They've only seen the one I posted. But yeah. like I really enjoy it. Like trying to get creative. We'll do the best whip I can do for it. Like I will try as hard as I can like and do it good. Or like if I do a stop it, I'm like, oh, it was a pretty good one. But I know I can do it better. I might go for another hour trying to get it better. But that's probably like an ins- obsessive problem. But then YouTube, dude. I just make that. I just make that as fun as easy as possible. Enjoy just fucking around on that and making funny videos. So that one's just cruisy. I feel like you can do anything on that, and people will watch it. Yeah, like I, I, do it when I watch some peoples. I find sometimes the shit bits, the best bits. Mm. Like if someone's just fucking around, being their natural self, driving to the track or driving to this trip they're going on and traveling through the airport, it might be way funnier. Then their epic helmet cams and epic filming from the trip. I want yeah. to see the shit from in between or him and his mate talking at the airport like we are now. I guess so. I don't know. I guess yeah. You have, my Instagram and my YouTube are completely different styles, really. But probably because they are two different things, and that's how I enjoy them. I don't know.
1: Yeah, the hard it's, to say. It's funny, like the I mean, the YouTube thing is such a hard thing to crack for me, like because. The shit that works really good for me on YouTube is essentially just, like, moto fucking gossip. Like, clickbaity title, you know, take a quote, don't really give it the correct context, and it'll get a fuckload of views. And if you, <laughs> and if you don't, but if you don't do that, it just doesn't really work. And I think, like, I think I was sort of, I was in my head, like, trying to make it how I wanted it to be. But i pretty, I think I've just given up now. And I'm just like, whatever. I'll just get that fucking check every month. And, like you know like itunes is itunes is the place where if you really care and you want to listen to the full thing and you really want to like take something from these awesome conversations and these great fucking people go to the itunes listen to the full shows you won't be disappointed but it's like i can't expect people to want that on youtube and i have no. been i'm like <laughs> listen to all this great shit and now i'm just like you know what fuck you guys you get clickbait and if you want to call me out and say that i'm a fucking dog for making clickbait titles then fuck it it is what it is
2: dude this it is what it is that's the whole of youtube people love it they they're clicking the clickbait titles they want to click them right let them have it i reckon yeah <laughs> let them have it make your instagram and your itunes nice and good and give people the good stuff and youtube they can have whatever they want
1: <laughs> yeah it's funny like uh, the, the, i sort of was thinking about it like this though, the other day like to defend my fucking honor essentially is i'm like bro <laughs> youtube gives me a hundred fucking characters i've got to put the title of my podcast which is like 30 fucking characters or 22 characters and then i've got uh the guest name and then i've got Essentially four words to make a title for this video. So fuck you. It's clickbaity as fuck. Eat a dick.
2: <laughs> yeah, it has to be. That's too good. He's worked out the characters. Yeah, it's just like,
1: bro, oh Twitter God. gives Twitter gives you more. Like I don't even get the same length of a tweet to make a title for this video. Alright? So yeah. how about the title makes you watch it and then the video gives you the context?
2: Dude, there you go. I think my titles are too shit. I don't even think I get near the 100 characters.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah. You just got to clickbait the fuck out of people. It's kind of... It sucks, but that's how the... It's, it, it's the ultimate, like, don't hate the player, hate the game, you know? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Completely, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, like, that's is it great. something Is it something you want to try and, like, step up in the future? Because, I mean, I I don't know what sort of views you get on there, but, like, you can definitely make money.
2: Dude, yeah, for sure, like... I enjoy it, but like I'd love to make mine not more of like a gypsy show but like, in a way. But I almost, I just want like cars in it, motorbikes. I want fucking me going around my garden on my Z50 and my bikes. Like, I want to do some cool videos. Like, if I'm doing a new bike build, I'm going to film it as good as I can and like yeah. slide the crank in and have like ASMR or whatever it is, you know. Like, I want to do some cool ones like that. But at the same time, dude, I just want to live this life that I'm living now. And like, it would be nice to not have to worry about money if I can just keep fucking around in the mud outside with my mates, you, you know. That's all I do. (laughs) So I'd love to like help it keep me be able to do that. So, and I enjoy it, dude, I enjoy the challenge. Like I say some days it'll be rainy and I'm like, dude, I don't wanna go outside, blah, blah, blah. Oh, let's go film this sick drift video. It'll be well funny. We're like, do this and it will kind of like, not force you to go and do it, but it will like give you like encouragement to go film a dumb video. But once you're out there, you will enjoy doing and I will create good content and hopefully people will enjoy watching it. So. I know. I really, honestly, and I enjoy it. The editing sometimes is annoying, and like writing the description, I hate because I suck at writing. But doing the videos, I like it, and you can make really good money off it, dude. People are out there driving Lamborghinis and all sorts off yeah. it. So, yeah, you can do well off it. So it's a cool. Thing. I think it's another really cool tool if you use it right.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's there's like a lot of the. I don't think there's that many people doing it in the lane that you're in too. And I think that that's what you've got to try and sort of figure out, you know, like you've got pro mountain biker, run a team, super good on a moto. Like there there is this unique lane that that you are in. And, you know, I think that all of this, any content is about like the kind of the niche that you're in and you definitely are in a niche.
2: Yeah, hopefully. Like, yeah, because I could either transform into super like a role where I'm like, Hey, everyone today we're going to do this. And I do enjoy that sometimes, but like you say, I kind of do just want it to be the niche really like hundred percent. Just watch stupid shit. We're doing today almost just, yeah. Like literally a lifestyle documentary of we're going to piss around this today. Or, Hey, we bought this shit car today. And then today we're going to ride motocross today. We're traveling to a world cup. And then suddenly it's a real professional video because yeah. we're doing like a world cup race, but it's a cool niche. Like cause we're doing all these different things. So, Hopefully it continues to grow, and I think it's rad how many people like on YouTube. It's kind of weird, like even though I've got what two hundred fifty thousand Instagram followers and forty thousand on YouTube, you're like way more famous off YouTube, which isn't a good thing. Or like it kind of it doesn't suck. I don't want to say it sucks, but like people shout at you everywhere, and they think they know you because of YouTube. Mm.
1: So
2: they do feel like they get to hang out with you for a day, right? They're like watching me go around london with win they're watching us eat they're watching us like get ready in a car they feel like they've hung out with you for the day and like someone will come up to you and just be quite gnarly with what they say like they're your best mate or just stand there or like tell you Mm. what to do chill a bit whereas it's like you get fans on instagram but no like super fans or like invasive fans that you get on youtube you know so it's kind of a weird one like if you go to fire that you'll be a real celebrity and if that's not what you want you gotta be careful for instagram mountain biking is normally pretty chill but youtube you do get intense they love
1: yeah dude it, it is weird hey eh? like uh the the youtube thing in general is just like just seems like i i don't understand though like i spend quite a lot of time on youtube like i don't have a tv in my house or anything like if i watch content i watch it on youtube but so, like, uh, it's weird to say that YouTube has a weird audience because I'm a YouTube audience, but, like, it is fucking weird, man. Like, there, it's a it's definitely a super bizarre place, even, like, the comments that you get, the way that... The, I think that one of the reasons YouTube's weirder than Instagram is because it's very hard to be um, anonymous on Instagram. Like, you can have sort of a private account or whatever, and, and I guess it's sort of... You could pull off the anonymous thing but like man there's like we got this one dude that just repeatedly comments on all my videos and tries to like make himself sound super smart like he can call out any fuck up that i make in a three-hour podcast (laughs) and and i'm like his his fucking thing is anakin skywalker and it's just like bro Tell me who the fuck you are? Like yeah. I'm, I'm out here. Like you know who I am. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I got I kind of, eh? I have to stand by everything I say. But like, I just don't feel like I give a fuck about what anyone says that is calling himself Anakin Skywalker.
2: Dude, it's just weird. People can hide behind a screen and just like in a negative way, they do it in a positive way. Like people will say like the nicest stuff, is so over the top, and and whole stuff over the top, but it's... It's this weird world that everyone lives in. And like you say, it's this weird YouTube audience, but we are both of us probably watch loads of YouTube, so we're yeah. in this audience too. But I think you've got people that watch stuff and people that comment on stuff, you know, and like yeah. so many people that comment on it are oh, rad. Don't get me wrong. There's loads of positive comments, but like human nature, naturally, we just take in the negative ones way more or notice the negative ones way more, which sucks that we do, but in our nature, you're like, well, why is that guy being mean to me? He doesn't even know me or why is he this? Mm. But yeah, yeah, comments, comments are the pointless ones. Like that A one thing, dude, was gnarly. I remember. Don't just pull these out. Wait up, my headphones are out.
1: Yeah, you you good?
2: We back, we back. Yeah, like the A one thing. I remember, like one of the first videos I put out, dude. It was kind of gnarly to read it. Like I was like, after, I was like, well, I feel well weird, and I was like, well, I'm kind of sad. I guess. It's like people were just writing horrible shit about you online. And then some guy looked at the pink bike article in my video into like Vital MX forum. And it got so gnarly in there, dude. Like, people were like, who the fuck? Like, people just hating me and like making fun of They're Like, whoa, what have these guys got to gain? Like, what's up with them? Yeah. Dude, I'm like putting myself out here openly sucking, like, not claiming to be anything, being terrible. What's up? Not a big headed way. I'm used to being like pretty good at stuff. Like, when I race mountain bikes, like, I'm pretty good at it. It. And I'm like, Hey world. And I'm like, look, everyone in the world watch me be really bad at something. Like watch me start from zero and be bad at this to thousands of people. And they still hate it on you. So it's a weird audience and weird how like humans think they can just not just judge you, but like don't know, comment on you. Like imagine just walking up to someone and be like, you suck dude. Like why you... <laughs> it's so weird in the YouTube world, how people think they can do all that stuff. But don't know. I it's th- a new, it's so new still, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I think it's, like, a good um, like a good skill to have, as weird as it sounds, to, like, be able to brush off that kind of shit. Like, there's a balance that you've got to find between actually taking on... Like, at the start of the podcast, like, I've, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at having a fucking podcast. But it's, like, at the start, I wasn't that good at it. But it's, like, it's taken me three years of, like, hard work and dedication to get, quote-unquote, better. And it's, like, you get these people that comment Some of it's right, and that's probably the stuff that hurts the most. But then the other <laughs> shit, like it's actually, I think, a good skill to get used to br- being able to just brush off the bullshit that people fucking carry on with.
2: Dude, definitely, it's weird. Like, yeah, just the, for sure, the stuff that hurts the most, and people are making fun of you, like, yeah, I did suck at that. I know I sucked at that. Yeah. But then sometimes you're like, dude, I'm trying my best, man. I'm learning here, and I'm trying to provide <laughs> you with entertainment. I was like. I'm literally giving you free entertainment. You don't have to watch it or you don't have to listen to it. Just enjoy it. Do you have to write something horrible? But yeah, it definitely helps you like brush it off. I'll be like, it doesn't matter. Everyone can say as many mean things as they want, but it doesn't matter like who cares really. I know it's easier said than done, but it doesn't matter.
1: Well, I (laughs) think it it gets easier though. Like I, I definitely brush it off so much more now, but dude, I've started, especially on YouTube, I just reply to every negative comment. Hashtag free content.
2: <laughs> yeah, dude, exactly. It's just free. I remember <laughs> watching a, or listening to a Joe Rogan thing there, and he said, he's like, dude, all he was trying the negative and never positive. And then he said he felt real guilty at the end because he's like, dude, I want to say thanks to the people that write nice comments because they're the people that are his fans. But he's like, in the end, like you, too many comments. You know, you can't reply to thirty thousand comments in a day. Like it's unrealistic. But it's a weird one because he's like, dude, I'm giving all the negative people feedback and none of the like mm. um, positive guys feedback. So I kind of felt bad about that because I was replying to some of them and I was like, dude, I can't reply to all the negative and all the positive. Cause like they're like in depth replies. I'm like, Phew. but you do, you get way better at it and like dealing with it. And it's just, YouTube's a weird place, man. Even though, like I say, we're all on it and like normal people are on it. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes.
1: Nah, it it is it is fucking super weird. Like I'm actually stoked that most of the audience on YouTube is in the US cuz I'm just not there. Like I just got no risk like <laughs> you know when I go to a Supercross in America, like I just don't not getting to go to races. Like the people just aren't really going to see me, so I just don't kind of give a fuck. And then people in Australia just it's so different like the the people that listen to the show in Australia are just like the coolest motherfuckers ever man. Like we go to we went to Oz X last year, Marvel Stadium. And like anytime I'd get up and go to the bar, anywhere I'd go, like you'd just hear people from like up fucking way up in the stands be like, Gypsy Gang and you're just like, like that's fucking so sick. That's but sick, dude. But like all the negative that's shit, so it's sick. just like YouTube Americans. I'm just like, cool, I don't have to see you
2: guys. Yeah super weird yeah that was basically all mine like all the americans on vital mx that were not fans (laughs) not one bit it was like i'd gone into their garden and stolen their dirt or something or stolen their bike to ride there there are some upset people out there
1: well dude i think man like i'm so i'm so glad i got to hear that story firsthand about a1 man it's fucking hectic what you did like so but first of all it's retarded that you could think that you could do it but then it's like so (laughs) but then it's so awesome that you actually fucking did you got so close to lining up at a1 and like you had no business doing that and that's fucking incredible (laughs) no business dude no business (laughs) i would have made it on the
2: track but i had no business yeah it was funny
1: well well honestly though props because you did look a lot better than i think you even give yourself credit for
2: (laughs) i feel like at least now i could go out with most mountain bikers and probably beat most, if not all, of them, around a supercross track, so that makes me happy.
1: Yeah, there is some legit fast moto dudes that ride. Uh, mountain bike dudes that ride moto, like who's that French kid? There's some um,
2: Fail, alexander Fail.
1: Or... He he rides a moto he's pretty, pretty good. good. Danny he Hart does looks like he ride rides pretty, pretty good.
2: good. Yeah, he's good. But dude, same as what I thought though. You think you're good at moto, you go to a supercross track. It's fucking. Oh yeah. It's not even the same thing. So there's some good guys in moto. Yeah, moto. I definitely have my work cut out. But go to supercross
1: track. I think I got them covered. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd say that's a hundred percent that you would have them covered. But yeah, there's
2: some there's some good guys in the man of white world. Gwynny, for sure. Chris Verge has. He's not the quickest, but he's good style.
1: Yeah. He's French
2: guy. He's got real good style of one. That Angel might be the Suarez one I'm thinking the about. Guy, he used to race, maybe. There's some Look, good guys, dude. There's some guys that go well,
1: dude. I, that'd be pretty sick to do like some kind of World Cup moto mountain bike race,
2: dude. I'd take that so seriously. That'd be world champs for me.
1: I would. <laughs> I'd be there to win. <laughs> Wait, are <were, were laughs> you so nervous? Were you at Farm Jam this year, right?
2: Yeah, I turned out late because my plane got turned around i got like halfway to queenstown and turned around but yeah i got me i think Saturday evening, whatever it was yeah
1: yeah you look like you were taking the pit bike race super fucking serious so i can't imagine an actual mountain bike race uh an actual oh, like, dude, mountain bike dude, moto dude. race
2: yeah that's it i won the first moto dude that was it i was on <laughs> like i can't <laughs> not take something serious like that if it's a mo uh, if it's a motorbike i take it so seriously like pit bikes especially i like i'm so confident a pit bike i would I would put my money on pit biking against, bull. like, most people, like, even motocross dudes, I would be pretty confident on pit bikes.
1: <laughs> oh, that's unreal. Well, dude, I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. I know it's getting pretty late there. And, um, yeah, that was really cool to to sit and chat and, and hear your story, man. It's pretty sick the way that you have cultivated uh this life for yourself man it's uh yeah it's pretty cool to to hear it come from from you as well you know
2: yeah well, i appreciate it being on and hopefully i don't sound like too much of a dick or cocky about <laughs> hopefully making this life work but yeah super super stoked to be on and, hopefully and yeah should be rad
1: yeah well i reckon we could probably get some cool shit going on in the future when uh when everyone's allowed to travel and all that and if uh if you guys can get into New Zealand for next year, um, hopefully I'd be I'll be pretty keen to go back to New Zealand and do some moto and mountain bike stuff um, at the start of next year. Hopefully, so if if that happens, I'll be there and we'll do one of these in person.
2: Dude, a New Zealand like Gypsy Tales road trip podcast meetup or something. I would be I'd be on the next plane if we could do that. That'd be unreal with a good crew. Well, so in for that.
1: Dude, I really, really want to make a New Zealand trip happen where we go and ride at Townley's and do that whole deal, man. Dude. And, yeah, there's, like, there's so much cool shit to do in New Zealand. And we've got, and there's, like, you know, we've got Cody Cooper and there's a full crew that we could make some dope shit happen. Dude.
2: <laughs> we got to after it Pandemic's done
1: sick brother all right man well i really appreciate it thanks again and um and yeah i'll talk to you soon
2: no worries mate thanks a lot have a good one
1: see you mate